Website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Speedy, Petey, what is up, my friends? I'm doing all right. Happy college fo- uh, official college football return day outside of week zero to those who observe. We have Thursday, Friday, and Saturday games this week for week one. So I'm excited about that. Well, I'm excited about a lot of things and not excited about many things that yes, has happened today. That is very fair. Here in New York <laughs> sports. But before we get into that, at 9.30 we'll be talking to USA Today's baseball writer and reporter, Steve Gardner. This is the first time that Steve is going to be joining us, so we're very excited to get Steve on the show. At 10 o'clock, we will be talking to CBS Sports, College Sports, and MLB Network broadcaster Rich Waltz. So he'll be joining us as well. So uh, this will be a first time for Rich to joining us, too. So we've been waiting to get Rich on. He's been very, very busy, but mm-hmm. he is free tonight. So why not give him a little uh, sports loudmouths? Uh, so we have a lot to get into. Uh, as the Donovan Mitchell saga is now over, he is not going to be a New York Nick. It seems like he's heading to Cleveland. Who would have thought when everybody and everything was pushing at, towards the New York Knicks, it seems like it's no longer a New York Nick possibility. It is a Cleveland definition of nothing. But anyways, uh, so Donovan Mitchell gets traded to Cleveland Cavaliers for three unprotected draft picks and a few players. So we'll get into that in just a few moments. Russell Wilson signs a five-year, $245 million contract, $165 million guaranteed, which is the most in the NFL. Um, R.J. Barrett signs a four-year, $120 million extension with the Knicks. After the whole Donovan Mitchell, you know, thing really broke today, he officially signed the $120 million contract with the Knicks. So he will be a Nick for the next four years. Yankees call up shortstop prospect Oswald Peraza, uh, the number three prospect in the Yankees system. The Yankees are right now nine in all of baseball when it comes to uh, their farm system. The Mets are 16, so the Yankees still have the better farm system out of both New York teams. So uh, Peraza, who everybody thinks is going to be a star in this league, we'll see. He has 19 home runs right now in AAA. He's had a very good season. He's more looked at and defined as a defensive player, but he has had an unbelievable offensive season. Marcus May arrested again, this time on aggravated assault charges. Uh, 
We'll get into that. Don't worry. And uh, the Giants cut linebacker Blake Martinez. And a little bit later in the show, probably around 11, 11.30, we will have everybody's favorite, Mark and Gerard Tandem. The Overtime will be joining us. And we will get into some college and NFL football with them. But everybody that's reached out to me all over social media, making fun of what I've said over the last couple of weeks about Donovan Mitchell going to the Knicks. It's almost a sure thing. It was almost a guaranteed from my lonely lips. And boy, oh boy, I was eating everything I said. After today, it broke. And the first person that broke this to me was Das. I'm sorry, was Josh Silverberg. He reached out to me and did you, did, he started crying to me on the phone, telling me, did you hear about this Donovan Mitchell thing? I hate the Knicks. I'm done with the Knicks. I am not a Knicks fan anymore. Crying, crying, crying. Because all over, all over social media, the New York Knicks fans were absolutely upset with the organization in Leon Rose because they did not pull the trigger because of one player that didn't want to trade, and that was Grimes. Now, I know if you're a Knicks fan today, and you look at this roster, <laughs> it's a roster of R.J. Barrett, Julius Randle, and their big acquisition in the offseason in Brunson. And you say, this threesome would be lucky if they're an eight seed in the Eastern Conference. And adding Donovan Mitchell, it adds a, a superstar, a player that is going to give you at least 25 and 7 every game. Undersized shooting guard or guard. But this guy is a star. This guy is a top 12 player in the NBA. He wanted to be a Nick. He cried about it all over social media for the last couple of weeks. The Knicks had a chance to land him. And the Knicks choked. And I'll get into Danny Ainge. Don't you worry because I have my own thoughts to that man. But you sit here today, the Knicks have been a failing organization of bringing a star, a young superstar, that's going to help build this team into a powerhouse that we remember in the 90s. The Knicks brought in Carmelo Anthony years and years ago. At the prime of his career, he was about 28, 29 years old. From the Denver Nuggets. He wanted to be here in the Knicks. He wanted to play for his Fellow New Yorkers, born and raised in Brooklyn, moved to Maryland when he was six, but he always adored the New York Knicks organization. Why, I don't know. He came here. He was Offensive Player of the Year. I remember he had the scoring title one year. He was MVP, top three voting player, if you remember. That was the year the Knicks won 54 games. They lost in the second round against Indiana. That's the furthest they went with Carmelo Anthony. 
This organization has been an absolute catastrophe. That is the best word to explain this organization. It's not bad. It's not terrible. It's an absolute catastrophe. And they had finally a superstar player that wanted to play in New York, wanted to play in Madison Square Garden, wanted to play for the New York Knicks, and they absolutely bombed in landing him. Now to Danny Ainge. Danny Ainge is respected from nobody in the NBA. Because this man, even though he's a very smart man, has ripped off almost every single team he's traded with for years. He stole Kevin Garnett from the Timberwolves because he was best buddies with the GM over there in Minnesota. That move helped him finally win a world championship with the Boston Celtics. It wasn't Doc Rivers. It wasn't Tom Thibodeau and his defense. It was Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Ray Allen. And the only way he could land that was because of his buddy. And he gave up nothing. Nothing to Minnesota to get the great Kevin Garnett in the prime of his career at the age of 31. You sit here today as a Knicks fan and you remember what Danny Ainge did to the Brooklyn Nets when he absolutely robbed the Brooklyn Nets, which eventually gave the, the, the Boston Celtics Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, which rebuilt this organization to be a powerhouse in the Eastern Conference. When he gave up a washed-up Kevin Garnett, a washed-up Paul Pierce, and an organization that was just trying to win with Jay's, Jason Williams. I'm sorry, not Jason Williams. Deron Williams. And a bunch of old, pain-in-the-butt players that they brought to the Brooklyn Nets. Danny Ainge has been laughing for years as a GM. For years. And why not laugh at the New York Knicks again? Because what he wanted from the New York Knicks at first, he wanted Obi Toppin, Quigley, Grimes, and five unprotected first-round draft picks. Then the Knicks... And Danny Ainge decided to part ways with that deal because the Knicks didn't like it. And they came to another deal. Fournier, Obi Toppin, and six first-round draft picks. Five unprotected. And the Knicks weren't going to accept that. Then they went to another deal, which was R.J. Barrett and two unprotected First round draft picks and Utah 
wasn't going to accept that. And then today, before this move with the Cavaliers happened, they countered the Jazz. And they said, we will take Obi Toppin, Grimes, and five unprotected first-round draft picks for Donovan Mitchell. And Leon Rosen told him something that you probably don't want to hear on live radio. So what did Danny Ainge do? Danny Ainge went to a team that was out of the running for Donovan Mitchell and said, you know what? Donovan wants to go to the Knicks. He's not going to the Knicks. I'm going to send him to the more unreputable team. A team that's growing and I think has more talent, young talent than the New York Knicks. No question, but it's in the state of Cleveland. And send him over there where he could be hidden in the Eastern Conference. And what I mean by that is he's not going to be in Madison Square Garden in the world's most famous arena. He's not going to play in front of all the companies and corporations and fans, movie stars and singers. No, 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 no. He's going to go to Cleveland where they barely sell out a stadium. Half the time... They probably have eight to 10,000 people in the stadium. And I don't mean state of Cleveland, Carl. You know what I mean. The city of Cleveland, okay? He goes over there to Cleveland. And then Nick fans will never see Donovan Mitchell play in Madison Square Garden except when he play against the Knicks. I sit here today as a Knicks fan. I am disgusted. I am mad, but I'm not mad at Leon Rose. Because Leon Rose was not going to give away their future for a guy that in three years could opt out of his contract at the age of 28 and still be a Nick. And giving away five unprotected first-round draft picks, which could turn out to be lottery picks in the future, would be crazy. Ask the Brooklyn Nets. I'm upset because we finally had a superstar that wanted to be here. Now, if the Knicks did get Donovan Mitchell, that probably would have made the Knicks the smallest backcourt we have ever seen in the last, I would say, the last 15 years. Because Donovan Mitchell is six foot one, six foot two as a shooting guard. The average shooting guard in the NBA is 6'6", which is four inches smaller or bigger than, or larger than Donovan Mitchell. And then you have Brunson, who's about 5'11", 5'10", At your point guard position. Average point guard in the NBA? 6-3. So you have two guards that can't defend their position. So then you're going to have to decide to play either zone. Or you got to hope that the other guys, the other big men, the three, the four, and the five, are good defenders that they're going to be able to defend the paint. It's scary 
where you see the Knicks today and where you saw the Knicks two weeks ago and wonder where this organization is heading. And honestly, this organization is not heading in the right direction. Julius Randle, as, as of right now, is your number one option. Julius Randle, who you overpaid last year. R.J. Barrett, who's making $120 million, well-deserved. He's a good young player. He, he, every single year, he's, he's been better. And then you give Jalen Brunson, who took less money to come to New York, an undersized point guard who is not a defensive player, who is a better point guard option than we've seen the Knicks have over the years. The last guy that I can remember that was a pretty decent point guard for the Knicks, Charlie Ward or Chris Childs. Maybe Brunson is better or over there in that, that talent pool, but they haven't had a star point guard in a very long time. And don't say Derrick Rose because Derrick Rose, to me, when he came to the Knicks, wasn't the same player that he was in Chicago. I, I sit here today, and if if any Nick fan out there is upset or happy about this move, you have to sit back and wonder, is Grimes going to be the player that Leon Rose believes he's going to be and is the reason why the Knicks didn't get Donovan Mitchell? If Donovan Mitchell... Wins a championship with Cleveland. The Knicks fans are not going to be very happy. And I, I, I see, you know, Carl likes to attack me in every kind of way on the social media. He says, uh, the Cavaliers average 17,804. Do you know the Knicks sell out every single home game in the NBA? Do you know that the Knicks have more fans to go to games than any team in the NBA? Do you know the Knicks are going to be sold for close to $8 billion? How about that, Carl? Why don't you look those numbers up? You asked Donovan Mitchell where he, would he rather play, in Cleveland or New York? Carl says he didn't ride there with Snuck who wrote at the Cavs average of 17.04. Sorry, Carl. <laughs> I'm going to sit here, this whole show, and attack the Nick fans. Because it's, it's not Leon Rose. This isn't Leon Rose's fault. If anything, Leon Rose protect the Knicks' future. Their organization as a whole. Because Danny Ainge was going to rob them. He has been doing this for years to New York teams. Ask the Brooklyn Nets. Ask Billy King. Who hasn't had a job since then. And will never have one. He's always robbed New York teams. He hates New York. He's left into the bank. And you know what? He got less from Cleveland. He got less. As long as he was, Donovan Mitchell wasn't going where he wanted to go. And as long as the Knicks didn't get what they wanted. 
he was happy to make that move. Danny Ainge's pettiness comes back to bite him. He doesn't want to trade him to the Knicks because he doesn't like the Knicks. Well, congratulations on getting less in return. Yeah, you got one more unprotected pick. Congratulations. Knicks offered two. The Cavs offered three. You got pick swaps, which, by the way, is worse than getting just any first-round picks that are controlled to you. No, you still have to keep – you still have to give your other one to the other team. So have fun with that. And you never heard that – the Cavaliers had to offer whatever their equivalent, probably Evan Mobley, would be to an R.J. Barrett. No, they don't have to give up anyone like that. I like Oche Bai. They drafted him in the first round this year out of Kansas. He's a nice player. I like Laurie Markkinen, but he's had some injury issues in his career, and he's older. Good player. Fine. And Colin Sexton, he's been hurt all the time. So that's what you got back in addition to those. Uh, and two unprotected. And uh, two, yeah. Yes. Two unprotected. No, I'm sorry. Three unprotected first-round draft picks. But that was the distinct difference. One more unprotected pick? That made the difference? No. Your pettiness hurt you, Danny Ainge. Because if you were to offer anything of what this final offer of R- of R.J. Barrett was with the additional picks, the two first-round picks, or the Obi Toppin one with the five picks, and or uh, Obi Toppin and Grimes with the five picks, that would have been the equivalent of probably doing maybe Evan Mobley and Darius Garland on the Cavs. And you never heard but that. But Speedy, he was absolutely willing to trade R.J. Barrett. He offered R.J. Barrett before he extended the contract four years, $120 million. He said, Danny, I'll give you R.J. Mm-hmm. I'll give you him. But have we ever heard that the Cavs had to offer anyone similar? The Cavs, no. The Cavs didn't give up anywhere close nope. to the player of R.J. Barrett. And that's why, Not even close. And that's why the pettiness of Danny Ainge could hurt the Utah Jazz because – I like all the players they got. I'm not saying that I'm not saying that the Cavaliers fleeced Utah. They didn't. I wouldn't go that far. But the players that you were expected to get back in a trade for Donovan Mitchell is guys that have a lot of upside. The Cavs have a lot of those guys on their roster. Whether it's Isaac Okoro or it's, whether it is Darius Garland, Evan Mobley, who was a Rookie of the Year finalist, I thought should have won. You got Jared Allen. There's a lot of different guys they could have gotten with a lot more upside. I like Markkinen as a player a lot. I wanted. Yeah, he was my second favorite player in that draft in 2017. If the Knicks didn't have Porzingis, I probably wouldn't have wanted them to draft him. But he's had his injury issues. Colin Sexton's always hurt. And that's what you're banking on to try to rebuild this team? Yeah, you better hope your pettiness doesn't hurt you, Mr. Ainge. I wasn't hurt that the, the Knicks didn't trade R.J. Barrett because I didn't want to trade R.J. Barrett. No. I, I, I want the Knicks to keep and hold on to R.J. Barrett because I still believe that this kid is going to be a star in this league. We don't know. But every single year, he's, he's been better. His first year, he averaged, what, I think 14 points. His second year, 17 points. His third year, 20 points. Every single year, he's been better. And I expect him to take it to another level this year, averaging about 24 and 25, right. just like Jason Tatum. Mm-hmm. And now Jason Tatum's one of the top 12, top 13 players in the NBA. Now, I don't think R.J. Barrett is Jason Tatum. I never said that. But if he could give you 25 and 10 every single game and be absolutely a leader for this team, as a New York Knicks fan, that's what you want. A homegrown player that's going to play hard, get on the court, and be a New York type of player. Mean, gritty. That's what you expect from New York Knicks players. A.K.A. Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, John Starks, Anthony Mason, Xavier McDaniel. Those guys were the heart and soul of the 90s New York Knicks. 
The Knicks don't have players like that right now. Julius Randle? <laughs> Julius Randle, last year with the Knicks winning because he was pouting that he didn't get the ball and that R.J. Barrett was the number one guy shooting it the whole game, decided to pout, kick the ball to the side, and walk off the court after they won. And then complain to the press that he didn't touch the ball enough. That's our number one option this year. That's the guy we're looking forward to again this year as a New York Knicks fan. Carl says, Knicks choke again. Uh, to lose out to the Cavs is miserable. Snuck says, I guess the food wasn't so good in New York after all. Uh, Carl says, are you about to switch this as if Danny Ainge hung this up? No, we're saying that Danny Ainge's pettiness hurt him in a way. Uh, Snuck oh, says, We'll see what those players turn out to be, and we'll see what those unprotected picks turn out to sure. be. Because those unprotected pr- picks are not going to be high picks. Mm-hmm. At least if the Knicks offered them, I think they offered four unprotected first-round draft picks, more than likely... Those could be lottery picks. Right. Even with Donovan Mitchell, they can turn out to be lottery picks. Now you send Donovan Mitchell to Cleveland. The Cleveland Cavaliers are ready to win now, now adding Donovan Mitchell. They're ready to win. Mm-hmm. They've got two players, Mobley and now Donovan Mitchell. Two young, up-and-coming players. Well, Donovan Mitchell is a player, and Mobley and, and Garland – these guys are up-and-coming players. And they have Karis LeVert, who they traded for last year. And, oh, by the way, they have Allen. They have a good bench. They have rebounders. They have size. They have everything you need to win in the Eastern Conference. You send Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks. The Knicks are, are still a team that's rebuilding. Undersized if they add Donovan Mitchell to that backcourt. You had a better chance to get better picks with the Knicks. Mm-hmm. But you decided, because of your stubbornness, because Donovan Mitchell wanted to be in New York, you know what? You don't want to be here? I'm going to send you to a dark place. I'm going to send you to a place where you might have a chance to win, but nobody's going to care. And trust me, guys, nobody cares if the Cleveland Cavaliers win a championship. LeBron James is not there. Right. Nobody cares. Uh, before we go to break, I'll just read the rest of the comments. Snug says, so what we're saying is Ainge is a master of his craft. If everyone hates him and he keeps getting these deals, he's doing something right. You can't put a dumpster fire out with a squirt gun. The Knicks do what they do. Danny Ainge lost this deal. Yeah, I think so, too. He lost this deal. I'm Her- telling you right now, he lost. Because Sexton, every single player, Markinen, these guys don't stay healthy. Right. They don't. They're good players. They don't stay healthy. Go look at their careers. They're, they're not healthy guys. And then you get three unprotected first-round draft picks, which, by the way, are going to be late picks. Mm-hmm. Carl says, Jazz asks for Grimes. Nick, Nick's balked. Uh, Long Island football down 20 nothing. Mm-hmm. Donovan Mitchell seen skipping out on a dinner check on Broadway. Uh, he read all the fan stuff. Yeah. Uh, Carl says, ne- Rose needs to pivot hard, though, needs to make some move. Right, that was the poison pill offer for Barrett. Snug says, maybe Ainge hates Donovan Mitchell for being a pain in the ass. Uh, Carl says, Darius Scarland or R.J. Barrett just asking, not making a point. I would take Barrett slightly, a little bit, just because I think he's better defensively in attacking the hoop. He's and, a better two-way player. Yeah, I think so, too. And then last one. R.J. Barrett's become one of the best threes in the NBA defensively. Mm-hmm. He's been... He, 
you ask anybody that's seen R.J. Barrett, Barrett play last year, he is, he's really transitioned his game to a defensive style of game. Yeah. He has become the best defender on this New York Knicks team. It's not saying much, but it, it sure. shows you what Tom Thibodeau – do you remember what Jimmy Butler was? Jimmy Butler was a defensive player when he came into the league. He, he became a better defensive player under Tom Thibodeau and then became an offensive player. Go look at R.J. Barrett's numbers since Tom Thibodeau, Tom Thibodeau has taken over this team. His numbers are much better. His defensive game is much better. Now, I'm not saying Tom Thibodeau is, is a great coach or a great, young, you know, a, a great coach for youngsters because we know he's right. not. But we have seen guys flourish in his defense. We've seen guys flourish in his offense. Last comment for Carl. I was waiting for a Charles Smith name drop. Ha ha, he just got blocked again. <laughs> Absolutely an embarrassing uh, thought for Danny Age fans because I can't wait. I can't wait when Danny Ainge has this smack him right back in the face. It will. It, 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 a lot of people think this is going to smack the Knicks in the face. I don't think so. Because two years from now, oh, oh, actually three years from now, Donovan Mitchell can opt out of the fourth-year option. He becomes a free agent at the age of 28 in the prime of his career, and he can go to the Knicks. And if Grimes becomes the player that Leon Rose and Tom Thibodeau thinks he is because he was one of the best players, yes, it was, I guess you can't say it was, what, Summer League? He was one of the best Summer League players this year, not just for the Knicks, throughout the Summer League. He was one of the best players in the Summer League. If he turns out to be the player, I believe, and I've been saying this over and over again, who who have I compared him to, Speedy? Devin Booker. Devin Booker. A better defensive Devin Booker. And he's a good shooter. A very good shooter. If he becomes anywhere close to Devin Booker, the Knicks have something. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter for the first time on the Sports Loudmouths, Steve Gardner, here on the Sporties of Loudies. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, we are the Sports Loudmouths. 631-672-3108 is the number to call us. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And, and Carl said, so where do you think the Knicks are going to be this year? I don't even think they're a playoff team. Honestly, even with Jalen Brunson, and I like Brunson. I think he's a good player. The Knicks are a borderline playoff team at best. So I, unless they make a trade at the trade deadline where they can add another star or a star to play with some of the players that they have, there are just so many. Cleveland jumped like six, seven spots. I mean, they could be the second or even the number one team in the Eastern Conference now with the play, adding Donovan Mitchell. I mean, they're going to be a very good, fun team. It's just Cleveland. Who wants to play in Cleveland? And this is the perfect person to ask who would like to play in Cleveland. We are now talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. Steve, what's going on, bud? Uh, not too much. Just a little uh, pennant race action and uh, exciting baseball down the stretch with one more month to play. Absolutely. Uh, do you like Cleveland? Do you think Cleveland's a dying city? 
I like Cleveland, actually. Mm-hmm. I've been a few times and uh, watched some outstanding baseball. World Series in mm-hmm. 2016 was very exciting there. And uh, they got some nice nice places to eat and, uh, and visit there in the, the progressive field neighborhood. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually uh, kind of a fan of Cleveland. Are, are, are they paying you? <laughs> I, I hope the residuals will start coming in soon. Now, after they uh, hear me. Well, where would you rather play, New York or Cleveland? Honestly, uh, that is a different question altogether. <laughs> uh, New York, by leaps and bounds. Of course, Uncle Stevie will be writing you your check soon. Don't worry. Don't you worry. <laughs> there you go. As everybody knows, we are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. So why don't we get into the MLB, and both New York teams are right now fighting for their dear lives. One team that seems to always win, and the other team seems to find ways to lose. And it, you would think it would be the Mets, not the Yankees, but it's been the Yankees seeming to lose every kind of way, and the Mets finding a way to win in games that you never see them win. So... What are your thoughts right now with the Yankees? What do the Yankees have to do? They brought up, uh, they called up short, their shortstop uh, prospect Oswald Pereza, who a lot of people like. He was the third best prospect in their farm system. Uh, they need some kind of offense bringing him in. He's known for his defense, but for some reason right. this year, he's he's got power. He's hitting close to three hundred. So what do the Yankees have to do? Is this going to help this roster move forward with uh, the month of September? I think it will help, um, whether it will right the ship, as uh, the Yankee fans uh, have hoped that uh, that they can do before the playoffs start is another question. But, you know, he and Anthony Volpe were the two kind of crown jewels of the infield um, of the prospects that the Yankees had at the beginning of the season. Volpe's a little younger, a little bit less developed, so we will not see him this season. Um, but Peraza... Definitely, as you said, you know, defensively, very, very good. They can certainly use him. I mean, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa was supposed to be that stabilizing defensive influence for the Yankees, and he hasn't really been that. And so, you know, if you can get a little bit better defensively, save some runs, help the pitching staff out a little bit, um, I, I think that's that's something that can get the momentum rolling back in the proper direction for the Yankees. And, uh, you know, after they've had so much good fortune and have played so well for the first four months of the season. Um, They need to get back to that. Another thing that's been a rocky road for the Yankees has been their bullpen in the second half of the season so far. Clay Holmes, who is the best closer in the American League probably in the first half of the season, and then he's had some issues in the second half, just got, came back from injury now, and then Aroldis Chapman as well. They might get Zach Britton back. What do you think is the best approach for the Yankees' bullpen going into the postseason? Well, I think for sure is to get Clay Holmes enough reps, enough innings to be able to get back into that closer's role, to get comfortable again. Um, And the other thing, too, is what about Aroldis Chapman? You know, I mean, he's a guy that that can give them, you know, the strikeout ability, um, the the left handed um, uh, ability to to close games out if they need him. Um, That's I think that's the key for the Yankees and being able to get him back and healthy and, and into the mix. Um, that's an important thing for them as well. And that one, two punch to go with Loisaga and, and Wandy Peralta, who's been, who's been pretty good this season. Um, the bullpen is, you know, has been a strength for them historically. And uh, I think it still can be, but it uh, certainly needs to work things out 
over September. And because you have that nice lead in the American League East, they do have a little bit of wiggle room to try and be able to do that. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. It's it's so funny because uh, this weekend they have a very big series against Tampa, a team that's six games behind them. And if the if the Yankees go into this series and lose, uh, you know, the majority of the games, I think it's a three game series. Is it is it is it four games or three games? Speedy, look that up for me. I think it's four games. I think it's uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday. If if they lose three out of the four games. The, the Yankees could really just be up by three games, and this, this could be uh-oh time for the New York Yankees. And the Yankees haven't been in that position all season long, and now you're going into the final month of baseball. Right there, looming is the playoffs, and they could completely fall out of first place as quick as they were in first place 15 games coming out of the All-Star break. Three-game series. Three-game series. So if they lose all three games, they're only up six. So what, what are your thoughts there? The thing is, you know, the Yankees are are slowly getting healthy. Giancarlo Stanton coming back and the Rays with Shane McClanahan, you know, who's been their best pitcher all season long now on the injured list. You know, the the shoe is kind of on the other foot with the uh, with the Rays and the Yankees. So, I mean, yes, that could happen, certainly. But the Yankees, their position is getting a little bit stronger and the Rays position is getting a little bit weaker at the present time. So I wanted to move on to the Mets, who I who they've played well in the second half of the season, but did have kind of a very strange trade deadline. Daniel Vogelbach, I love, who's been a very big spark for the Mets, getting on base and home runs. But a lot of questions with their bullpen, too. And the biggest one for me is a concern with not getting enough lefties. They only have David Peterson on, and Joely Rodriguez. Is that a concern, do you think, going into the playoffs, the lack of pitching depth in lefties? Up a little bit, but, I mean, if, if that's your only nit to pick... Um, especially when you've got the great starting pitching um, with the way DeGrom looks uh, lately to go with Scherzer and, and the rest of those guys. I mean, it's a, it's a small negative. And, and I think overall, you know, um, Edwin Diaz has been lights out this season. The rest of the bullpen has been fairly solid. And you're right, they could have possibly done more at the trade deadline, but they did make a few incremental um, additions there in getting Vogel back, as you said, and Darren Ruff, you know, to kind of form a little platoon there, left-right punch. So I, I think the Mets did what they had to, and they didn't really, you know, jeopardize any of the future by trading away the, some of their, their best prospects. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. Steve, we sit here today and we, we look at both New York teams, but – the Mets really stand out because of their starting pitching. You just mentioned Max Scherzer, uh, Jacob DeGrom. But these two pitchers really this season haven't stayed healthy. Now, Scherzer had the, uh, the oblique problem, and uh, it's been consistent because this isn't the first time he had an oblique problem. When he was with Washington, he had the same problem. Uh, but he's slowly gotten back into it, and he's looked really, really good. And then Jacob DeGrom can't stay healthy. Now, this is a man that expects he's going to opt out of his contract at the end of the year. He wants to be paid more than Max. Uh, Steve Cohen, I believe, will be willing to give him that money, but for lesser years. Where does this team go if they somehow go into the playoffs and lose in a divisional game? Yeah, that's that's the thing. When you go all in the way the Mets have and basically said, you know, we are in this to win this. And you know, make the moves, all the moves with the Starling Marte and everything else over the offseason. 
Um, yeah, it's going to be a huge letdown, I think, if they don't get to the World Series, which, you know, when facing the Dodgers, uh, a team that has the playoff experience, has the talent, probably superior top to bottom roster talent uh, to the Mets. Um, you know, it's one of those things where the expectations get so high, especially with the, the way that the regular season is gone to this point, the star power that they have. It's going to feel like, you know, almost Yankee-ish to where if you don't get to the World Series, it's an unsuccessful season. I think if the Mets can get to at least the NLCS, then it can be a success because, you know, they've had all of the bad breaks, the bad luck, the bad ownership and front office. And now those things are turning around. And if you don't make it all the way the first year in this, you know, Steve Cohen era, at least you've got a nice building block to take into next season. So I, I don't think it'll be a total loss. It'll sting, obviously, if they lose and don't make it to the World Series. But there's still an awful lot of progress that's been made that, that the Mets fans can hang their hats on. So I'll ask one of the fans' questions. Uh, Carl asks, uh, the Padres sputtering, haters struggling to say the least, and the whole Tatis debacle with the 80-game suspension and the uh, the motorcycle accident. Do you think the Padres can catch a sinking ship? Because remember, last year they had a very similar collapse and already struggling in the second half this year. Yeah, I, I think this is one of those where the Padres have so many, you know, they assembled this roster, uh, at least the, the way that it's looking right now, at the last minute. You know, all the trade deadline additions, not, not only Juan Soto, but Josh Bell, you mentioned Josh Hader and Brandon Drury, all those guys. You've got to fit that into the, the clubhouse chemistry for the final month plus of the season and make that work. And we've seen, you know, the results. They haven't been able to do that. And especially with the distractions with Hader being so bad and being yanked out of the closer role, finally getting a save uh, last night. And then, as you mentioned, the, the Fernando Tatis situation, that, you know, takes the whole focus off of coming together and winning and sort of puts it on one guy who's not part of that and hasn't been part of that the whole season and making him kind of the focus of the clubhouse, which can't, you know, can't help them at all. Uh, so I think that the distractions and everything else is it's a talented team, but it's a flawed team. And uh, I don't think it's a team that can can really put together that kind of streak, get on that hot streak that you need down the stretch and, and into the playoffs. James, I mean, Steve, you, you think of uh, Jordan Montgomery with St. Louis, and he has been unbelievable. He's been fantastic. Everybody took to ch really looked at the Yankees and said, uh, when they added Hader, they said uh, they, I mean, I'm sorry, Bader, they expected Bader to be a big part of this run for the Yankees, give them that extra outfielder, give them a base stealing outfielder, something that the Yankees have been dreading uh, for and wanting for years. And they, they add a player like this, but we haven't seen him on the field. And then Jordan Montgomery pitches five games with St. Louis. He's, I think his ERA right now is one. I mean, his, his whip is like almost under one. I mean, he's, he's been unbelievable with St. Louis. And all the Yankee fans were taking shots at the Yankees, thought he was horrible, get rid of him. Now, finally, he's pitching well with St. Louis. And, and Yankee fans are wondering, what, what is St. Louis doing that the Yankees couldn't do to make Jordan Montgomery as, as the superstar he has become with the Cardinals? I, I may put a little bit of this on the Yankee fans themselves. I mean, with all of that pressure, all that criticism, and making Jordan Montgomery the focus of that, when he went to St. Louis, all of that 
just wipe the slate clean and he could focus on pitching, doing his thing. I mean, Yadi Molina behind the plate has to be an asset. Um, the Cardinals, one of the best defensive teams in all of Major League Baseball behind him. That's an asset. You know, when the Yankees are, are bundling th- bungling things behind him, um, it can ruin your confidence. And as a pitcher, confidence is huge. And, you know, I didn't see too many of Jordan Montgomery's starts as a Yankee. But the ones that I did see, he did not look like a confident pitcher on the mound um, the way that, say, Nestor Cortez did earlier in the season um, before his injury. So he comes to St. Louis. It's a completely different, less pressure type atmosphere. He's not being asked to, to, to win the pennant for them or anything like that. Not that he was in New York, but still being able to, to have the veteran experience, the defense behind him, it's just a great situation to fall into. And he's, you know, I, I think we've seen flashes of Jordan Montgomery over the years to where we knew that maybe he had this in him, maybe not for as many games in a row, but he was a decent pitcher in New York at times. And now he's been incredible in St. Louis. And uh, it's certainly uh, making Yankee fans Throw very up. skeptical <laughs> Throw uh, of, of the uh, of the trade <laughs> and the motivation behind it, especially when, you know, Cortez gets injured. And now the, the starting pitching depth that was supposed to be a strength for the Yankees is is now not so much. I was upset about Jordan Montgomery. And Speedy will tell you was that the final – hour of the trade deadline and when I heard Jordan Montgomery was traded and Speedy, Speedy actually liked the trade. I did at the time because I thought Bader playing center field more would take pressure off of Judge and Stanton. And he hasn't played yet and no. maybe Bader when he, he actually does play before the playoffs because they're saying he'll be back this month maybe he has that second half or that month where you see that's why he's a genius. That's why he made that move. Because Bader is going to give them speed. He's going to he's going to hit 300. He's going into the playoffs where he's going to give the Yankees that depth that they needed in the outfield with Ben Attendee. But there's no guarantees to that. But there is a guarantee of what Jordan Montgomery has been in the playoffs. And, and really, in the last three years, I said this over and over again. Jordan Montgomery has been the Yankees' best playoff pitcher in the last three years. And now you, you give him up for a guy that we don't know is going to work in New York – I trust Brian Cashman. The guy is a genius. He really is, even though Yankee fans want to throw him to the the pigs and the wolves now. I I mean, I don't understand. And by the way, shout out to Hal Steinbrenner, because before the the season even ended, he says, Brian Cashman's going nowhere. And by the end of the season, Mm -hmm. he's getting a long-term deal, and he's going nowhere. And I'll tell you this, and you know this as much as I do, Steve. If Brian Cashman was free, there would be 30 other teams lined up saying, listen, we'll give you a piece of the organization. Come and run my organization. He would be Theo Epstein. Absolutely. You know, leave him Boston. Same Absolutely. sort of thing. Absolutely. The guy's a genius. He's been the best GM in professional sports for the last 30 years. And the fact that Yankee fans don't like him. They're a com- and I'll say this. I'm a Yankee fan. As you can see. You guys are a bunch of morons. And I've been saying this <laughs> over and over again here in New York. Stupid. Go ahead, Speed. So I'm going to go back to the Cardinals because they're in a position where they should be able to make the playoffs now. And we've seen the Cardinals in the past be kind of do better when they're an underdog type thing, both their World Series and even even three years ago when they made the NLCS beating the Braves the way they did. Albert Pujols' mm-hmm. final year, Yadier Molina, Adam Wainwright. Could you see them being the, the sleeper of the National League and spoiled maybe a powerhouse like the Dodgers and the Mets? 
It's possible, but I just I don't see them having the you know the firepower in starting pitching. I mean, they they have obviously the offense with Goldschmidt and Arenado, who've been fantastic this season. May finish one two in the NL MVP race, but in terms of pitching, I don't know. I mean, Montgomery's been great. Can he continue to do that? Uh, you know, Jose Quintana came in at the trade deadline as well. Has been has been very good, but. Will Wainwright be able to to continue what he's doing? Um, I wouldn't put it past him, but still, when you put those guys up against who the Dodgers can throw out there, who the Mets can throw out there in the playoffs, and they're going to have to face probably both of those teams if they want to get to the World Series. Um, it, it seems like it's a great story in St. Louis, but it's a, a very tall order to do anything more than basically get into the playoffs, at least in my book. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. Steve, people forget about the Atlanta Braves. This is the same team that won the World Series last year. This is the same team, if you look at their record in the second half, I think they have the second best record in all of the league in the second half of the season. They have played great baseball. Yes, they're, they're racing and trying to catch up to the Mets. I don't think they're going to catch Every Met fan asks me, do you think the Braves are going to catch them? No, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily think, just because the Braves aren't the number one uh, team in the division, that they can't beat the Mets in a series. I absolutely believe the Braves could beat the Mets in a series. Uh, the Mets have the better starting pitching. I think the Braves have the better bullpen. So what is your thoughts to the Atlanta Braves? Are the Mets afraid of the Atlanta Braves? I don't know that they're afraid, but they should definitely respect them because this is this Atlanta team, if you look at the entire roster top to bottom, I would say this is better than the Atlanta team that won the World Series last year. Mm. Um, you know, the younger players that have come in, a healthy Ronald Acuna, um, Spencer Strider, another gym tonight um, has just been phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, this team is dangerous. We don't know. I don't think we know how good this Atlanta team is because we haven't seen how good they can be. Uh, And, again, they peaked at the end of last season, won the World Series. They could be doing the same thing here. And, yeah, I don't want to dismiss them and and just talk about the Braves or just talk about the Mets and the Dodgers. The the Braves are a legitimate threat here uh, to possibly – play spoiler to possibly go back to the World Series again because they have the experience. And and as I said, I think they're better than they were last year. And they don't have their one star that is coming back to an Albies. And when he comes back into right. that lineup, that's that's an even scarier lineup than we thought. Absolutely. And and Austin Riley has been phenomenal this year too. May, may be their mm-hmm. best player mm-hmm. so far this season. So I want to shift to the contracts that we saw. Julio Rodriguez just got a big one, 14 years. Starts at 210, but could get up to $470 million over the course with incentives. We saw the Rays pay Wander Franco at the start of the year. Obviously, the Padres with Tatis last year before the whole 80-game suspension thing. They paid him a 13-year 13-year deal. Do you think this kind of thing is the new norm, especially for these, I guess, maybe smaller market teams or these secondary cities that mainly didn't get the reputation before? I think it is with the star players, and I think that's kind of what baseball has evolved into is, you know, you get a handful or however many stars you can afford and just load up with young players because those those young players, the reason partly that, that the Braves are so well set up for the future is, you know, they got Acuna and Albies 
and, and Riley, all those guys locked in at kind of, you know, below market deals to where they can go out and make moves if they need to, you know, like last year going and giving all those outfielders, you know, Solaire, you know, as your MVP of the NLCS and, and uh, Adam Duvall, those guys like that, it gives you that flexibility and still locks in those players that are so good uh, and are so young for an extended period of time. I think we will see um, like Juan Soto coming up, you know, what's, what's, what kind of contract is he going to be? He's only going to be 26, you know, in, in a couple of years when he ends up being a free agent. Um, those kinds of players I think are going to be worth the whatever, 200, 300, 400 million dollars, maybe 500 in Soto's case. Money. And uh, so, I mean, that's where you, and, and because the young players are still inexpensive, you have a good farm system, you can supplement you know, those star players with really good role players, uh, especially if your farm system like Atlanta keeps turning out the Spencer Striders and Vaughn Grissoms and, uh, and guys like that, Michael Harris. Yeah. We are talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. Last question for me, Steve, the Hall of Fame, okay? And I know you're a voter because uh, uh, you, uh, you're working for the USA Today. You're a writer. You've been a, a writer for years. David Ortiz, okay, All right. I, I have a lot of respect for the man, but this man has been accused for taking steroids. He, it's proven that he, he did take steroids. Why is it that he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, okay, and you look at, I don't know, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, Jed, how about this? Jeff Ken, who wasn't even accused of taking steroids. All these guys, some of the great players in baseball history. And yes, they did steroids. Bud Selig's al- Bud, Bud Selig allowed it, and he's in the Hall of Fame. How does that make sense? Okay? <laughs> Why is it that David Ortiz goes and rides off to the sunset, and he did steroids, and all these other guys are never going to sniff the Hall of Fame? All right. First, with your premise... David Ortiz never tested positive for steroids during a major league baseball administered test. Okay. There were, there were leaks about a possible positive Mm -hmm. may have been a false positive could have been a real positive during the survey test that was supposed to be anonymous Mm -hmm. before they instituted the testing program league wide. So for me as a hall of fame voter, when I look at the, you know, the, the whole uh, breadth of David Ortiz's career, I can't count that whatever, you know, the, the leaked positive test as a definite test, a definite yes. And every single year that David Ortiz played in the major leagues after that, when testing was in fact universal and administered to all players, he came up negative every single time. To me, that's enough of evidence that David Ortiz for the majority of his career was a clean Whatever you want to put quotes around that, that's fine. But to me, he did not break any of baseball's rules and did not run afoul of the drug testing policy. And for that, I give him a complete pass and look at his accomplishments up and down throughout his career. And to me, first ballot Hall of Famer, yes, indeed. All right. So that same report, Alex Rodriguez was leaked first. And if he wasn't caught the second time, if he was leaked, would you have voted Alex Rodriguez into the Hall of Fame? 
Alex Rodriguez came out and admitted, though. I mean, that was the thing. And congratulations to him for coming clean. Mm -hmm. But, you know, he said, I took these this drug that was was banned. And, you know, I did it because I was under pressure to live up to my contract. Now, other players may have other reasons. Andy Pettit, you know, wanted to get healthy from from an injury. And that's why he said that, uh, you know, he admitted to that. Alex Rodriguez. I don't. Uh, Alex Rodriguez is a difficult, um, difficult player to understand. <laughs> Let's just say that. Um, and why he does the things that he does. Uh, we could go on forever. But I think because, number one, he admitted it. And then, you know, they, baseball had evidence. They suspended him for a year. That, to me, is enough to disqualify him. Hmm. So that's how I make the distinction between those two. All right, my last question. Besides the steroid guys, the the big ones, any guy that you think should be in the Hall of Fame that isn't? Uh, let's see. Um, I, I, Lou Whitaker is an, an older player that I think has gotten uh, close a couple of times on the, um, uh, Veterans, the Veterans Committee. committee yeah. And I, I think he deserves to be in. Um, Kenny Lofton is another guy that I think has hmm. been overlooked, um, didn't get a fair shake. I'll tell you another guy, too. Johan Santana, if I were if I were eligible to vote when he came on the ballot and was one and done, I think that's one of the biggest travesties um, of, of the players who were on and off and didn't get 5% in their first year. Johan Santana was a fabulous pitcher. And because of injuries, you know, his career wasn't as long as some of the others. But when he was right, he was almost Sandy Koufaxian. And, uh, and I think he would be a guy that I would say, if I could go back in time and give him, you know, a couple more years on the ballot, I think his percentage would go up, you know, 20, 30, 40, may not get to 75%, but I think he'd have a much better showing. How about Albert Bell? How about Jeff Kent? Two players that had fantastic careers. Albert Bell, for six years straight, was one of the best, one of the top three hitters in baseball. But... The writers don't like him. He was very disrespectful to the writers. So you know what? We're not going to put him in the Hall of Fame. We're going to let him sit on the outskirts. The man, I, I feel so bad. And uh, listen, I know Albert's not a nice guy. I've heard a lot of stories about him. He's, he's really an ass. But even though he's an ass, he's still a great player. And why he's not in the Hall of Fame with the numbers he had as a player in the time that he was as dominant as he was is is really catastrophe. It really is. So yeah, I think of the fact that that he didn't win an MVP award. You know, the the individual awards again <laughs> voted on by the baseball that's writers. That's right. That's so not it's fair. that vicious circle again. <laughs> but I think that's part of it. And I think you know Albert Bell. If we go back, uh, you know, a couple more decades beyond, Dick Allen is another guy that has had a lot of talk about his career. Mm. Similar guys. You know, didn't really get along with the media. Um, that well and may have been punished for that. Um, Jeff Kent, I will tell you, I've had the opportunity to vote for Jeff Kent and have not. And the, one of the reasons, obviously the offense is great, but defensively, base running, um, his career started late, so his career totals were not um, you know, slam dunk, shall we say. Um, so Jeff Kent, I think, is a borderline case to where I could find more people to put on the ballot ahead of Jeff Kent mm. before putting him on mine. Steve, we really appreciate you, man. And I, I follow you. I've read some of your stories. 
You're a good guy, and we'll continue reading all the stuff that you post. And we definitely want to get you on at the end of the season to hear what your thoughts are uh, throughout the playoffs and whoever wins the World Series. Thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks so much. We'll see how wrong I will be you know, <laughs> at the end of the season. Well, it usually happens that well, way. Well, let me tell you, a lot of people say I'm wrong half the time, too. But, you know, it, it's great being right when you are. <laughs> exactly. Count those every time. Thank you. Steve, thank thanks, you very much. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Uh, we were just talking to USA Today baseball writer and reporter Steve Gardner. Awesome guy. Yes. Really, really good guy. I love his his thoughts to the Hall of Fame. And I, I want – because I know he's a voter. Right. So – it's interesting on his thoughts of David Ortiz and and everything and Alex Rodriguez because Alex Rodriguez was caught too. His he was leaked too. And if if I was Alex, I would have kept quiet too, like David Ortiz. But Alex is honest, and because of his honesty, it really threw him under the bus. And then Alex did some stupid things. Uh, I mean, uh, I met Alex. I think he's a nice guy. A lot of people don't like him because he lied. That's great. Everybody lies about something, and he's not the perfect person. But how much is his numbers going to change if if he didn't do steroids? Is it going to be that bad? I mean, he still would have hit over 500 home runs. He still probably would have hit close to 2,000, uh, 3,000 hits. I mean, Alex was one of the best baseball players we've ever seen. Uh, so I, I know. But we'll, we'll, we'll get into that with our next guest when we come back. When we come back, we will be talking to CBS Sports, College Sports, and MLB Network broadcaster Rich Waltz here. On the Sports Loudmouths. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loudmouths. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. We are the Sports Loudmouths. 631 672 3108 is the number to call. You can call us, as always. You can go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, which is WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I really love Steve Gardner. He was fantastic. Great, great um, reach uh, when you bring up all these baseball guys, Speedy, all these analysts, because they're so very interesting. And they all have their own takes. And we have another one. We are now talking to CBS Sports, College Sports, and MLB Network broadcaster, Rich Waltz. Rich, what's going on, bud? How are you? I'm in the hotel room in San Antonio, Texas. UTSA Houston game on Saturday. Both teams won 12 games last year. Mm-hmm. Houston's going to the Big 12 next year. They're picked to win the American. UTSA has only been around for 12 years. They're supposed to win the Conference USA. They're going to the American next year. Mets won again. We got Mets on the right, Yankees on the left. Well, yes. I mean, he's a Mets fan. I'm a Yankee fan. But honestly, even though I'm a Yankee fan, I'm an honest fan. I'm an honest Yankee fan. You won't see me wear a Mets hat. I, I'm not a Mets fan, but I don't hate the Mets. I actually root for the Mets when, when the Yankees are not playing them. I want the I want the Mets to compete. I would love to see another World Series with the Yankees and the Mets and watch the Yankees knock off the Mets in a World Series. I would love to see it again, but... You know, Met fans think differently if it happens again. The vibe of the Mets team is different than I've ever I've seen. The year that uh, Terry Collins took them to the World Series, I remember a couple of players about Buck Showalter. Pete Alonso said the difference this year is there's no BS. Buck does that for us, so all we worry about is just playing. That's a huge deal. The whole vibe of that team, and I think the Marte Canna additions were, were really good. And the Yankees, Judge and Stanton were red hot. Defense was greatly improved on October. It's so interesting when you you go into the month of September, and it's such an important 
month because this is the the month where you want to make sure you keep your lead. You want to make sure that you, you you keep your distance from the teams that are right behind you. And the Yankees have had problems doing that really since the All Star break. They had one of the worst August Augusts I've ever seen the Yankees have, and and and, and their offense was. Absolutely horrible for two weeks. I think in the, uh, I think it was the second week of August. They scored two runs in seven games. It was horrible. I, I mean, they're pitching. You, you expect Garrett Wilson to be your stopper. He wasn't their stopper. Uh, Nestor Cortez gets hurt early August, and uh, the Yankees are, are really in a position right now. They're getting healthy. Uh, they bring up their uh, their young prospect in Oswald Peraza, who I think is definitely going to give them some kind of stabilization at that shortstop position because, honestly, uh, the short – kind of Falefa, even though I think at some points of the season was playing well, I mean, he's made so many mistakes out in the – you know, defensively. This is guy. This guy's a defensive juggernaut we heard in Minnesota. That's what he was, and he, he's made so many mistakes in the month of August. I was like, well, this guy was a highly profiled defensive player and has fallen off as a defensive-minded player. So – I, I, I was very surprised. So what are your thoughts, what the Yankees need to do in the month of September to keep their lead and go into the playoffs, not a wild card team? I'm going to go to October. For the Yankees, they could scuff just get into the postseason. But the way the postseason is structured this year, the wild card round, years past when teams have had by offs not been good for those teams. The best two division winners, five days off. So either the Yankees or the Padres stumble into the postseason. You have to play that three-game wildcard series. Even though you are going to throw some frontline starters, you could get hot, win that series, walk into someone else's ballpark. The other hitters haven't seen game pitching in four or five days. Baseball's a sport, unlike, say, the NFL week bye for everybody to get healthy. Managers, even though they're going to get a bye, are going to say, we have a chance to get healthy. There's a timing and a skill mechanism of baseball that's different. For Yankees, it starts with pitching. Stanton fan played a long time and Judge having a, a marvelous season. To see the two California kids, Yankee Pinstripes, having a great year, I don't have that answer for you. This is what a season is usually a, about. For the Mets this year, it hasn't been this. If the Yankees figure in the last week of the season, that's enough time. I don't really care who comes in with 100 wins. I just want to get to the postseason. And if you win that wild card series, bats might be hot, protect a pitcher or two because of the break, one starter in game two of the division series. The Yankees' bullpen has been a big question mark for them in the second half of the season. We saw Clay Holmes pitch extremely well in the first half, probably was the best closer in the American League, and then all of a sudden he has some injury issues, and they got some veteran guys hurt, Michael King out for the season. So what do you think is the best approach for them going into the postseason, where they have kind of a less traditional bullpen than we've seen? Postseason, if your closer's not hot, most teams multiple closers, right? Seventh inning or an eighth inning guy oftentimes is an apprentice. Remember the Angels when they won the World Series? Was it K-Rod? Mm-hmm. I don't think on roster until September. Yep. They brought him up. It's a guy that just gets blazing hot, and that guy becomes the most important piece of your bullpen. Postseason's a strange animal. I was with the Seattle Mariners when they won 116 games. Mm-hmm. Luke Miller, July, telling his front office, need a right-handed bat. And everyone said, Lou, we're going to win 100 and whatever games. And they won 116. But he was right. They got beat by the Yankees in the postseason. So though the Dodgers look and beat up the Mets, magic going on there. Cardinals are winning that tell you get in a postseason series with that, you might end up on the wrong end of it. We are talking to CBS Sports, College Sports, and MLB Network broadcaster Rich Waltz. You know, Rich, we watch the league and, and the MLB, and it, it, like you were saying, it, it goes up and down and up and down as the regular season slowly moves after the All-Star break. You, you wait for the trade deadline, and some of these teams really – 
rebuild their team by you, you saw what Atlanta did last year. They added three outfielders and it absolutely changed their fortune in the second half. They went on a run and then went all the way to the World Series and showed people what what uh, you know what trading at the trade deadline could do for your team. The Mets didn't really make any big moves at the trade deadline. Uh, the Cardinals made one or two. Philadelphia made a significant amount. The Padres made a significant amount. And the Yankees. Now, the Yankees and the Padres, since the trade deadline, have not looked good. And they made the most moves. And Philadelphia, where everybody thought after getting rid of Joe Girardi, they bring in Thompson, uh, they're a completely different team. They added some bullpen help. They added Houdini. They added uh, Syndergaard. They added all these different people, these pieces. And now they have Bryce Harper back. And people forget, we have seen this before. A team squeak into the playoffs. They made the moves at the trade deadline to help them take it to that next level. And Philadelphia can go all the way to the World Series. I really do believe it. What are your thoughts to this Philadelphia team? Is this lineup good enough to run the circuit and get to the World Series? Yes, up and down and up and down. When are you going up? Going up right now. Can they sustain it through September? I think so. And I'll go back to the Mets not making a deal. They did make a deal. They acquired two frontline starting pitchers Mm -hmm. off the disabled list, Mm -hmm. right? Scherzer and DeGrom. That's like making a trade for those guys. That's the most impressive part of their season for me is that they were able to sustain winning without those two pieces of workload and pitch count. They've been really cautious with those guys, which is great. Buck Showalter wants them ready to go come October. Uh, the Phillies are a really interesting bunch, night and day, between Joe Girardi and, and, and Rob Thompson. So they're talented. Vanola, Real Muto, Harper's back, and Harper's hungry. He hasn't been there and, and done that. That's a factor uh, for the Phillies as well. You mentioned the Padres. Bob Melvin's a terrific manager. He's always been able to do more with less in Oakland and get them to the postseason, but obviously not enough uh, on his roster to get them uh, to the World Series. The, the whole Tatis thing, to me, has not fractured, but really shaken the core of that team because this is a guy that they've committed to for a long term. A lot of money, depending on him to do this. Gets in a motorbike accident or, or two, depending on wh- which article you read. He had a wrist injury, shows up, I need surgery, popped for steroids. They've got enough talent to get it going. Like the Phillies, that's a good group. A really underperforming group. Good division uh, at the top. Both Easts are really, really good. Baltimore Orioles are, what, eight games over 500? That's crazy. How great is that for baseball? Mm-hmm. How fun is it to see Camden Yards come alive again? Regardless if you're a Yankee fan or a Met fan or a Blue Jay fan, it used to, you know, the last few years going into Camden Yards, it was dead, and even though your team was going to take two or three or sweep, it's like the games weren't that compelling. Except now, for the Yankees at the end of last year. <laughs> now it's fun. I mean, now it's the, the Orioles are rolling. The Blue Jays are still a, a, a factor there. Um, and the Yankees Yankees on top. So probably six teams that you get hot at the right time and you roll into the postseason, you don't have to win 110 games. You just got to get in. And if you've got guys starting pitching to get you through matchup against Dodgers 1 or 2, Mets 1 or 2, get you to 1-1 into game 3, you can go all the way. So I want to ask, coming, coming from a Mets fan, their trade deadline was very bizarre. They bring in Daniel Vogelbach, who's been very good so far since he's come over there. Tyler Naquin's had a good stretch since he's come there, too. But one of the things they definitely needed was more pitching depth. I know you mentioned getting DeGrom and Scherzer back was like a trade, which is more than fair. But still, bullpen depth and also a lack of lefties is something that I was definitely wishing that the Mets uh, addressed, and they didn't really do that. Or is that a concern for you going into the playoffs, being that the Mets kind of have to be more old school, like you were saying, with the starting pitching? No, 
because I think they have the perfect manager for that. There's skin in the game for Showalter here, too. Built two world championship teams and not been able to manage them. <laughs> right? Now is his chance. Not going anywhere. And this is a World Series caliber team. Managing old school, new school, I, I think Showalter is a definite factor here. Five that I got the three days I was around that team, everybody was relaxed. Sometimes you think that with the Showalter, people are on edge because of who he is and his personality type. But his arrival just has let everybody relax. This is the right way to do it. This is how it's going to happen. I'm not that concerned about where they are right now. Stay healthy. Keep those frontline starters rolling. Get the trumpet guy ready when necessary. And, and away you go. I love Buck. Uh, I, re I remember him with the Yankees. I thought he got screwed by the Yankees and George Steinbrenner. But you can't cry about that. They brought in Joe Torre. He took over. Right. And he, he, won World he won a bunch of World Series with the Yankees. Derek Jeter. Uh, became a superstar, and then Bernie Williams and, and that great core of players. And I love Buck just because of his personality, and I've met Buck a couple of times. And, and Buck, he's a great baseball mind. He'll talk baseball with you all day long. As you know, Rich, you know him. I'm sure you've had conversations with Buck for years. So you know who he is as a person and a manager. But this is a man that's never won. He's never been in a World Series situation. He's never been in that situation as, as a manager where he, he's been able to understand how to manage a big game, a close game in a World Series. And I think that could absolutely smack him right in the back of the head if the Mets get to the World Series. We are still talking to you, CBS Sports, College Sports, and MLB Network broadcaster Rich Waltz. The Cardinals have been really fantastic in the second half of the season. Adding Jordan Montgomery, we were just talking to Steve about that, has really taken their pitching to that next level. They have Adam Wainwright, who seems like every, every year he gets better and better and better. This man is like 40-something. He's the Tom Brady of baseball, I guess. I don't know what the hell this guy is taking, but it's not steroids. He, he must be drinking crushed fish or something to give him the protein. <laughs> I mean, this guy has been unbelievable, and I, I, didn't, I didn't think that he could, you know, take this and, and, and play the way he's playing this year. I thought he was done, but uh, it's been amazing. Uh, Jordan Montgomery's been amazing. Do you think, honestly, with the way Nolan Arenado is playing, the way Goldschmidt is playing, I believe the two best players in the, uh, the National League, and they're probably going to go one and two in the voting, do you think that this team has enough pitching to go all the way to the World Series, knock off the Mets, mock, knock off the Dodgers, and maybe even, let's say, knock off the Braves and win the whole thing? I don't know. I don't know about that. Um, I did some games for the uh, Diamondbacks this year on, on television, and, and they still love Goldschmidt there, and, and, and they sure, lo sure love him in, in, in St. Louis. Um, and I'm with you about those two guys on the corners. I mean, I, I just pulled up their starting rotation. Um, you know, the, as, as it looks, if they started game one straight up against the Mets or the Dodgers, probably their rotation doesn't match up. But what can happen in a postseason is if you are the Cardinals and uh, you're coming into a series against the team – who's number one, say, had to start the last game of that series. Sometimes the, the ones don't match up. Um, sometimes you can steal a game one or two against one of the aces, and then if you've come out of a series, your number one goes in game three. Um, 
scoring runs is still cool and scoring runs and hitting home runs is the, you know, home runs, especially that's the offense of choice in baseball. And that's the, the offense of impact in the postseason. So do they have the same rotation as the, those two teams that we talked about? No, they don't, but they've got this magic going on. They're winning games in, in crazy ways. They've got Goldschmidt, they've got Arenado. Um, there's, cachet to that that carries a lot of i mean it lifts the whole boat so if you can if you if you don't have the dominant rotation you can still win in the postseason if your offense is just smoking hot and if they're smoking hot and they've been smoking hot uh i think they can beat people so I know you used to work for the Angels as well, and they've uh, just had an ownership or ownership selling the team now last week. Not um, surprised, by the way. Yeah, and obviously <laughs> having two of the best players in baseball, Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. So what do you think is the future of that? And do you, can you see either of them or even both of them getting traded potentially in the offseason? We were hearing some rumblings with Otani right like at the end of the trade deadline. What do you think that will happen with the Angels? It's a good question. I was there for three months last year. Um, I think what's hurt the Angels hurts teams, even the teams that I saw up close in Miami, um, and that's organizational depth. If you don't have organizational depth, you can have the two best players in the game, and Otani and Trout. You know, I'm sure there's arguments about that, but they're you know in the top three or four at least. Um, you can have those players and still lose 95 games, which I think they're kind of on target to do. You don't have organizational depth. You don't have young players that can come and plug holes, young players that have been developed that you're paying 600,000 a year for, and they're giving you, you know, a positive war and a positive uh, performance for, uh, or you don't, you know, if you get close to a postseason, you don't have that organizational depth to trade for arms frontline players they just don't have that i mean the lineup that they've put around those guys this year has been awful um there have been guys that have struggled but they you know the some of the guys they've run out there have not been major league caliber guys day in and day out so the question is what happens now uh do they trade either of those guys it's going to be hard to trade trout because of the length of his contract and the amount of money and and the injury issues over the last couple of seasons uh, if they did trade him somewhere, the Angels are going to have to eat some money. You know, that sounds funny to say when you're trading a, a generational player in Trout. But at this stage, they're going to they would have to eat some money on that. Otani's a completely different guy. He's, he's theirs for another year. Um, but what do you do? Does does he I mean, does he want to stay there and play for a team that is doesn't have the depth organizational depth that doesn't have the blueprint right now of, of success. He doesn't know who the owner will be uh, next year. And it may not be that they don't sell the team. Uh, it, sometimes that doesn't happen quickly. It's a process. Um, the, the guy that's most likely to be traded of those two is Otani because of what he can get back for him. Uh, you don't have to send any money. Um, you could try to rebuild not just your farm system, but populate your major league team with young, ready major league players for Otani. Until they get organizational depth, pitching depth, they've got a little bit of young pitching 
They just don't have enough of it. I mean, their draft last year, it's 20 rounds now in, in the major league draft. They drafted 20 pitchers in 20 rounds. That's how badly they need pitching. And they did get some good arms. But as you know, with a draft, it takes two, three, four, five years before those guys are, are you know, the ones that have made it through to the big leagues are ready to fill to fill that role. So uh, it's a tough position to be in. Otani is just, you know, having watched him up close, it's, it's the most unbelievable thing I think I've ever seen in sports. It's the equivalent of um, Patrick Mahomes after he leads a, a drive down for a touchdown coming in and, and playing lockdown cornerback uh, on, on, the, on the defense. Um, it, it's incredible. I mean, it just to watch him from day in, his, his daily routines, he rarely hits because he has to, for his body to, and his arm, to be a starting pitcher, he has to follow the starting pitcher's protocol, recovery the, the, the next two days after his start, preparation for his next start. Mm. And so a lot of times, he rarely ever hits on the field. He'll hit in the cage. Um, but just the physical uh, toll uh, a start uh, takes, on, uh, takes on a pitcher. And, and many times he's, he's throwing seven, eight innings, punching out 11, 12 guys, and hitting a three-run homer as the only offense on, on, in games that he starts. It, it, it's, uh, it's really incredible uh, to, to see that in person, to be close enough to, to watch him, talk to people around him, talk to him, talk to the managers, coaches about how they have handled that. Uh, I don't know that you'll will ever – I mean, I'm, you're probably going to see another starter who can hit that gets to be a DH, but – but not at this level. I, I don't know that you'll ever see that. It's really incredible. As everybody knows, we are talking to CBS Sports, College Sports, and MLB Network broadcast, Rich Waltz. Last question for me, Rich. Um, we, we talk about baseball and these new rules and how the game has changed. We had uh, – what umpire did we have? Dale, uh, Dale Scott. Dale yeah. Scott on last week. Very, very nice guy. Great book. I, I checked out his book, and I read a little bit of his book. The man knows baseball. He really does. And we asked him the same question. With all these different rule changes, and Rob Manfred, I'm not a big fan of his. I think he's the worst commissioner in sports. I hope that in 2024, when his contract is up, Theo Epstein's the next guy to take over for him because I think the guy's a genius. But nevertheless, these different rule changes, and I think the shift should be taken out of baseball, and I think it's ruined the game of baseball. It would open up the offense. They don't have to cork the balls, whatever the heck they do, seam the balls, whatever the hell they do to the balls. It it doesn't make any sense how the regular season you have have a, a baseball that's completely different than the playoffs. We've heard this from the pitchers. It doesn't make sense. But going back to the game, do you like these new rules? Do you think this has helped baseball? Or do you think that baseball should have kept it the way it was from the olden days? Um, there's a lot of, to unpack there. First of all, one of the guys that's at the forefront of these new rules is Theo Epstein. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been a, a consultant to Major League Baseball. He's kind of the, the not all of them, but um, he, he is uh, one of the guys that has helped, you know, implement and come up with the ideas would i love to go back to the olden days when i was a kid growing up in the in the bay area going to see the the world champion a's and see the giants and and all of that um yeah i'd like to do that but the game has changed so much um the the velocity of pitchers the dominance of of pitchers the strikeouts the value of the home run 
it's the game has changed. Um, and I'm sure you guys, I don't know that, that ESPN classic is around anymore, but every now and then there'll be a game on like, uh, you know, yes network, mm-hmm. yep. uh, or SNY it's from the eighties. Right. Yep. And, and it's amazing how quickly the game moves. It's amazing how, how often the ball is in play. It's amazing how quickly the, the pitchers work. And then you transition that or uh, contra- uh, contrast it to uh, today's game or a game that you're watching. And there are times where the ball's not in play for four or five minutes, where it's strikeout, walk, uh, and, and you're six minutes and the ball's not been in play. So I think the, the the rules are necessary because the game was the, the game has has grown and was growing into I wouldn't say it's unwatchable, but it's not as appealing as the games that we all grew up on. Well, there are some rules that I'm not a, a big fan of. There are other rules that it's like yeah, that makes sense. The pitch clock makes a lot of sense. Having watched MLB Network Triple A game last week and watched how the pitch clock. You know, because you wanted to see how does the pitch clock work and how does it. And after like the first inning, I didn't even notice it. Mm. But you did notice how quickly the pitchers worked. You did notice how quickly the hitters were in the box. And you notice how quickly the mount, the, the game moved. And that pitch clock isn't just pace of play. It affects pitchers, especially the max effort guys who, you know, so many guys are in that category. You can't throw a pitch and then walk around the mound for 20 seconds, right. gather yourself and throw another pitch 30, 35 seconds after that other pitch. You have its pitch back on the mound 15 seconds later, it's pitch back on the mound, and you get deep in account. All of a sudden, you know, 98 becomes 96. The extra innings rule is one that I thought I would not like, but I will tell you as a broadcaster, having gone through some of these 18, 20 inning games and seen the, the repercussion in the clubhouse of injuries and of teams shipping out two pitchers, simply because they pitched great and lasted six innings in the, in the extra innings, and now they're not useful for the next three days. So down to the minor leagues you go, player loses money, player loses time, mm. um, nobody's in the stands. I mean, it's fun if you've stayed up to two in the morning watching, but there's nobody in the stands. There's not a lot of other people watching. I like the extra inning rule. In fact, when it first came on, I would look at my, uh, the score on my phone or my iPad to see if a game was going into extra innings because I wanted to see how the managers ran the game. I wanted to see what the managers did in extra innings. And in the first, like the first month of this rule, I'm telling you, it was the, everybody had the same approach, still swinging for the fences. And it wasn't until like the, after the first month that, that all of a sudden situational hitting started to become not fully back in it but there were some teams it's like hey put the ball in play get him to third get him in let's take the run and and try to win the game um so yeah i mean uh, the bigger bases uh not not, not big on that the shift i i want to see the game without the extreme shifts Mm. again just to see i like the fact that they have the minor leagues they can test this stuff out they can they can see what sinks or what you know, stays afloat and what enhances the game. So would I like it to go back to the, to the seventies and the eighties? Yeah, that was fun, but that's not what the game is right now. And, and, and you can't change the players. All you can do right now is, is tweak, tweak the, the structure and try to get speed, try to get athleticism back in the game. Um, so that's how I feel about it. 
we really appreciate you joining us, by the way. I know you're a busy guy. Uh, we'd love to get you on again. My producer, Speedy, will definitely reach out to you again. Uh, thank you for your time. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. We, we're a big, I'm a big fan of what you're doing. Uh, you, you, you're, you're working for CBS, College Sports, MLB Network. I mean, you're all over the place. And eventually, yeah. when you become a GM or a manager of a team, you know, you can hire us to help you out in the back ends because we would love yeah. to do that. And, you know, that's funny. I should have done this at the beginning of the show. Our <laughs> hotel room, sometimes you go to a, a city or something like that. You look out and there's the parking lot. In this hotel room, that back window back there, <laughs> I opened it up when I walked in. The Alamo is sitting right there. The oh, wow. Freaking, the freaking Alamo is there. Damn. And it's like I'm going, damn, that's the Alamo. Whew. I mean, I've been to San Antonio before and walked by it, but now I can just walk over to my window here for the next two days and <laughs> and remember the Alamo that's just like cool. that. That's really well, cool. Well, I'm sure you're, you're, you're more uh... – interested in what's going on in baseball than go yeah, look, look, look out your window but uh I, again you're you're awesome we really appreciate your time uh, like i said i know you're busy you're a busy guy but uh would love to get you on again and uh thank you yeah good luck to the yankees i'm, I'm a big aaron boone fan because mm. he was a marlin same here and just for a year was a really cool guy would love to see them have success i'm always rooting for stanton and um, and good luck to the Mets. I love Gary Cohen and 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 Ron and Keith, uh, that booth. And um, and I hope hope that I hope they meet in the World Series. How what's the show going to be like if they're in the World Series with you two? Well, if the Mets win the World uh, Series, I actually have to get a tattoo. Uh, you know, if, <laughs> so. if if the it'll be if, a little bit of that. If the Mets play the Yankees in the World Series and the Yankees beat the Mets, this guy would probably jump off a plank. Okay, so <laughs> I, I, I mean, half the Met fans here—you have no idea how much they hate the Yankee fans. They root on the Boston Red Sox when they play the Yankees. That's how much they hate the Yankees. And as a Yankee fan, I, I could care. listen. If the Mets win, I'm happy for them. You now, know, in my defense, though, there was no way in hell in '09 I was rooting for the Phillies, so I did root for the Yankees then. Yeah, well. <laughs> I can't stand. But if you ever become a GM, you know you know who you can call. Uh, you know, not the Ghostbusters. You can call us, and we'd love to come and work for you. I think you're a smart guy. You know the game very, very well, and you've been well, very. It, you do, you do, you really I, do. And, and I'm not know, blowing your head I, off. I, I, Just I, I, hire Errol as a GM. It'll probably be better than the Angels front probably. office. Probably. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you. I'll leave you with this real quick one. When I was in the, I climbed through the minor leagues. Uh, I didn't go to broadcasting school or anything like that. And I was a single-A broadcaster in Spokane, Washington. And we were playing the Medford uh, A's. And I was just out of college. And I was at, walked out of the Motel 6, which is back then. There's no Alamo outside your hotel. Uh, to go for a jog. And, and a young executive uh, was walked out of the same hotel and was, had his running shoes on. Looked at me and said, are you going for a run? I said, yeah. And he said, well, let's go together. It was Sandy Alderson. Yeah. Who was the uh, at the time the young GM of the Athletics came to see his minor leaguers, and we went for a run through Medford, Oregon, and um, kind of picked his brain and could tell he was he was going going to go on to pretty nice things. Mm. Well, we really appreciate you, and he he did he was one of the guys who created Moneyball, and uh, it definitely changed the games for the, not only for the Oakland Athletics, it helped the game and helped teams that didn't have the money really redefine uh, what an organization could do even without 
the the money of the Yankees, the Red Sox, the Mets, and the big city teams. So uh, again, it, it's the games in in sports is different because. Uh, now all these teams have money, and they can open up their pockets. And it doesn't matter if you're from New York. It doesn't matter if you're from Kansas City. Uh, it's all about drafting and knowing what you're doing when it comes to drafting. Yep. That's indicated so, yeah. by the Orioles this yeah. year. Yeah. A payroll that is less than Max Scherzer's salary. This Absolutely. Year. Absolutely. Yeah, but you know what they've got? They've got organizational depth now, yep. which is mm-hmm. – that can keep them going this way. So have a good night. Good luck to both your teams. Thank, Thank you, you, Rich. We'll talk to you soon, bud. All right, thank you. We were just yeah. talking to CBS Sports, College Sports, MLB Network broadcaster, Rich Waltz. Nice guy. Oh, yeah. Really nice guy, and he knows his stuff. And uh, Both guys, both of the, the baseball guys that we had on today, uh, we, we kind of went on the outside of our sports teams. Even though we talked a lot about the Mets and the Yankees, they both actually you know, gave us some good insight on uh, where – they believe the MLB is going to go this year and, and what they think could happen. I think the Yankees and the Mets could be in the World Series. Absolutely. The question is, when you look at both teams and where both teams are, who really is more defined to go into the playoffs and make a run? I think the Mets because of their two starters. Now, that does not mean the Yankees can't get hot. It doesn't mean that the Yankees can't go anywhere. Uh, so uh, I, I know we have, uh, we have a guy that wants to call up. We haven't heard from him in a little while. Uh, we're, let's put him through, and then at uh, 11 o'clock we have Gerard and Mark Everett Kelly for the last hour of our show. So, uh, Danny, what's going on, bud? Hey, uh, Harold, what's happening? I'm good, man. How I'm are you? I'm turning the volume down on my uh, computer because I'm listening. Yes. <laughs> so. I miss you, dude. I, I, I know you, uh, you follow us, and, and you've been a big part of the organization and, and a writer for us. By the way, your new story is fantastic. If, if you haven't read any of uh, Danny's stuff, you have to go to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network uh, website and check it out. He has uh, unbelievable – he is a talented, talented writer. I'm not blowing your head up. Uh, he gives you so much insight when he writes about something, and he has uh, you know, not only his personality, but he puts his heart into his writing, and you can see it. Errol, that, that's that's no surprise because you put your heart into your broadcasting and you look for talent and bring talent on board. So why would that be a shock? Like, oh. like why why would anyone here at Ella Marks would be like, oh well, he only hires bad writers? That's crazy. Well, so, the talent has um, thrown me to the side, you know, and you know what I'm talking about. I, I bring the talented guys in, and they uh, they take their talent and, and and listen. I I want them to be successful. I never take shots at people. Of course. Want to go out there and do the best, but uh, oh, you know, at least well, give some credit for what you know where you've been and 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 how you got there. You know, so well, Errol, the the best teachers make their students greater than they are, mm-hmm. and they don't expect anything back. That's because I've seen what you've created. I, we've been together for years. I've seen what you you've wrought upon the planet. As far as unleashing talent, you cultivated and trained and influenced. I see what you've done. <laughs> like, like I, that's no surprise to me that people are good at what they do on the air because where they learn that from. So uh, there should be no malice or regret in your heart. You no. did great with people, and you saw them be successful. You should be happy how well you've been a teacher. Like a great teacher is a great teacher. The great teaching is only reward. Taken for me, <laughs> like I've done it for a while, yeah. but. Um, but Errol, here's a thing that I want to talk to you about because here, there's a thing that's been bothering me in sports. Um, now, I'm not going to lie. I'm a Mets fan. They play where I live. They're the closest team to me for baseball. 
Uh, but here's the question I have for you, because I was chewing on this the other day. I watched Jake, Jake DeGrom pitch against the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, again, seven innings, one run. You can't really complain about that on any level that's normal. Except I watched that game, and I watched another home run from DeGrom as he's getting into his late, you know, mid to late 30s. And I've watched this happen every game he pitches. And, again, his stuff is nasty. Some of the greatest stuff ever, but I'm watching the game and I'm like, Jakey DeGrom is not a baseball Hall of Famer. And the reason I say that is because what is Jake De- Two signing awards, right? One more than R.A. Dickey. What is Jakey DeGrom won mm. as a pitcher? Mm-hmm. A playoff series? A World Series? His... His his best pitching came after the Mets World Series failure in 2015, and the current team where his arm falls off every other month. Like I don't know if he's a Hall of Famer, and you might say he's the best statistical pitcher ever. Eh, is that a Hall of Famer? So I I seek your wisdom on this because I'm not sold that he belongs in the Hall of Fame. Okay, so. What we've seen Jacob DeGrom do, first of all, when he was drafted by the New York Mets, he was drafted as a shortstop. And uh-huh. in the minor leagues, they transitioned his, his shortstop position to a pitcher because uh, the management of the Mets, and, and everybody knows Omar Minaya, thought that he would be a better pitcher than a shortstop. Now, when he played in high school, he was a pitcher and a shortstop but when he was drafted, they thought he would be a better shortstop than pitcher uh, because he didn't have uh, he didn't have a strong arm. His his arm got stronger in the majors, uh, obviously with the training and the facilities uh, with the New York Mets. So that was a great catch for the New York Mets. Now you look at Jacob Degrom and what Jacob Degrom has done as a pitcher for the New York Mets. What really stands out to me is the guy can't stay healthy, but when he does yes. pitch, when he's do- when he does yes. pitch. And, and he is on the mound. There, statistically, when you look at his game to everybody, even Sandy Koufax, the greats, the guys that have pitched and dominated in the times that they dominated, I can honestly say Jacob deGrom is probably the most dominant pitcher in the 110 games he's pitched as a major league pitcher, as a starter, than any other pitcher in major league history. But, cool. but... but you have to play mean, meaningful games, and you have to be on the mound for meaningful games. And Jacob DeGrom has only done that one year when they went to the World Series, and they lost. And he wasn't even the number one guy. Now you're going to the playoffs this year. You're healthy. You stay healthy. You go all the way to the World Series and win. Then Met fans could, you know, obviously, you know, put him on a dot to say that this guy's a Hall of Famer. He's won Cy Youngs. He's won single awards. Winning single awards is not winning a team award, and the Mets haven't won since 1986. So if you were to ask me right now, is Jacob DeGrom a Hall of Famer? The answer is no. No, he's not. But if Jacob DeGrom wins a World Series and takes this team and he's the guy and he takes them all the way and he's the face of this team, which I believe he is, uh, yes, I think if the Mets win a World Series this year or they win next year and he's a big part of it, He's a Hall of Famer. It's not even an argument because he's done everything possible for a pitcher. And remember, now you don't need to win 300 games to make the, the Hall of Fame, as we heard from the baseball writers that we've had on this show plenty yeah, of times. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, all about, 
It's all about war now and WHIP and ERA. Uh, you know, the, the important statistics that really stand out when you're trying to compare and contrast the greatest pitchers of all time. Because it's not about really uh, you know, how many games and how many wins you have, because wins and losses mean nothing. As you can see and ask the Mets, every time Jacob DeGrom's on the mound, they can't score for him. And I feel bad for the guy because he'll pitch a, a one-hitter or pitch no, you know, go to seven or eight innings and pitch a, almost a no-hitter, and they, and they lose in extra innings because they can't score. So uh, it, to me, it, it's really been the Mets organization and the players that they have you know, when it comes to their lineup, that's really screwed Jacob DeGrom and his, his record. But records mean nothing. It's all about the important stats. Like I said, whip, ERA, uh, you know, strikeouts to ball ratio. This is, this is all stuff that really stand out when you want to compare Jacob DeGrom to all the greats that are in the, the Hall of Fame. So right now, I would agree with you, Dan, 110%. Jacob DeGrom is not a Hall of Famer as of right now. Yeah. So now my second part of that, and again, you, you made a very eloquent argument about, um, you know, the advanced stats versus the stats that, that kind of matter. But um, I, again, like baseball is not the way it used to be like 30 years ago where a pitcher pitched 70 innings as a regular and won 27 games like that. That era is is probably long gone. And we adjust two times like, you know. And Wayne Gretzky here, he scored 200 points a year, mm-hmm. but, like, hockey doesn't have 200-point scores anymore. Nope. No. But, but at the same time, DeGrom has a, what, seven-year career, mm-hmm. and he's pitched, what, four whole seasons? Yep. That can't be a Hall of Famer. No. And, and, and you know, that, that's, He's also that's young case, still. He's still young. He's not young. He's, what, 30, what, 31? No, he's, no, Jacob DeGrom is 31. 31? Yeah. You can't break that much at 31. Like, like that's that's not. He's got. I thought he's almost fifty with no, the way he breathes. No, no, he's thirty-one, and he. And, I'm sorry, didn't he miss a start this week to get an extra day of rest? Yes, yeah. and, but Jacob, yeah, the, you can't be thirty-one and needing extra rest. Well, you, they're also trying to protect him for the playoffs because they want the dominant Jacob Degrom, not the unhealthy Jacob Degrom. You need. Well, him. I guess hopefully Game Seven doesn't happen on his extra day of rest because. Well, that won't problem. happen. He will pitch that Game Seven if they need him. And yeah, it's well, not, without that extra rest, he might just throw meatballs. No, and you like, know that's not true. You I don't know that's, that's not true. Actually, Max Scherzer yeah, just had the opposite problem last year, where he was too fatigued. His arm fell off last year. Yeah, well, he was too fatigued, so they're trying to avoid that. Yeah, with Jacob and that's DeGrom. the problem. Like, if you got a guy whose arms might fall off. And so I, I think the big picture I was making, and, you know, this is my sandbag move, was I watched the Mets beat the Dodgers two games out of three and, and four games out of seven this season. Mm-hmm. If if you put them in playoffs, the Mets did not win that series. Well, right the now, Dodgers the Dodgers have a lot of injuries. They're advancedly yeah. better than the Mets at every position. No question. Like, the Mets catcher's hitting 170? Yeah. I could do that. <laughs> like, that's, I, I, honestly, I feel I could. Um, the Mets pitchers... Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, Carrasco. After you say Scherzer, DeGrom, Bassett, Carrasco, Walker, don't scare me. Um, Peterson doesn't scare me. Mikkel doesn't scare me. Whoever the, the guy – like, there's no Mets pitcher not named DeGrom, Peterson. And even Diaz doesn't scare me. Like, Diaz has let up runs in consecutive outings, right? Mm. Like, that means he peaked in July, and now he's on the downside. So, like, that's – those things, and in the playoffs, mm-hmm. that matters because in the yes. playoffs, any team playing the Mets in a close game will see Diaz with his two pitches. Right. And granted, he threw 103 miles outside. Awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Flat down the middle. 
So when he was off today, but he was very good yesterday, though. And he was off the other. Like he's he's still not again amazing season. I'm not knocking the guy for the season. Amazing season he's having, but he had a rough start this season, and it smells like a rough ending. Like I. Again, the point I'm trying to make, and I'm not going to sit there and, and, and go, oh, we'll look at Eduardo Escobar not doing what he's paid to do. Mm. Um, if I'm the Mets, I'm looking at, look at the Astros, look at the Braves, look at the Dodgers, right? Like, the, the Braves have people that grew up in the South that say, I will take less money to stay in the South and play here. Uh, we don't have that environment. We don't have full-year baseball because it snows here. But look at how the Dodgers have – marginally better pitchers like like a Mets reliever like Lugo has got like a 2.9 or whatever ERA 3.2 but like that was only just have, recently too yeah but but the thing is like the Dodgers have the same version of him but like a 2.6 right and that means like every other game he's a little bit better and that's marginal improvements but let's get to the Mets lineup the Mets DHs average 240 like that's not what a, a DH hit like 290 and again, 290 versus 240 means out of 1,000 at bats, it's 50 more hits, or 100 at bats, it's five more hits. Wouldn't five more hits be better than five more double plays? But the Mets were like, oh, we can make a big move at this deadline and be a contender, or we can get Vogel back. Mm. And he's their best at what they got, is 240 hitter. Like, you don't have a thing for the minors to pull up, you don't have a better trade to make. You don't have a guy for the minus that can't hit 240 that you can't trade for a better hitter. Right. Like, the Mets are still woolponing in that they're going, well, you know, in the future, well, Brett Beatty was a future. What's he hitting? A buck 50? He's hurt now. And he's he's dumping the year. No, but before I got hurt, he was hitting a buck 50. Um, and maybe the hurt made him hit a buck 50. But after that first game with the home run, he had two, three RBIs in the month after that. Hmm. That's your top prospect. He's not tradable. Um, your last top prospect is Kalanick. What's he doing in Seattle? Oh, he's not on that team. So I feel well, the they have Alvarez, prospects. who's the best product, uh, best pros- yeah. prospect. And what's hitting in AAA? He's at like a buck ninety. Yeah, yeah. That's not your best. Like, if you can't trade your best prospect in the buck ninety AAA, I argue you can't trade that guy. Because I can tell you that all the prospects that you go, well, he will be. Yeah, but I, I will trade what he will be for what is. Yeah. So if you tell me, well, Alvarez at 250 is catcher, then give me Wilson Contreras and trade Alvarez for him. Mm. Um, if you're telling me that Will Smith and Dodgers, who seems to hit pretty well for a catcher, we got one of those and he can prove it, then let him prove it. Yeah. But I, I, I look at the Mets going, the Mets are the Band-Aid Dodgers. The Mets are the Band-Aid Braves. <laughs> like, the Braves pull up a kid for the minor, from double-A! And he's 300. The Mets like, oh, no, no, no. We need three years of seasoning at AAA before you can. That's funny. That's why your team is not good. And if I'm Steve Cohen, you got all this money, right? Stop limiting yourself. Mm. Hire scouts. Hire staff. The Mets, if you think the Mets are winning the World Series, I will say right now, if you think they're going to win the World Series, I will give them my house for it. Wow. They ain't win the World Series. Because they can't. And the Mets will not win until they purge all the Wolpon out of the system and that includes Cohen has to – I mean, I like the idea of Buck. I like the idea of building an organization with Yankee cast-offs because the Yankees win a lot. But the fact of the matter is they need the extra step, which is they need to have some scouting and, more importantly, player development. The Mets 
player development through low A to high A to double triple is probably the worst in baseball. For a team with the resources they have and the results they get is the worst in baseball. Well, we know what Danny's going to be writing. <laughs> oh, no, I got, I got a few things. Actually, what I'm going to write is about Lou Lamorello destroying the Islanders, but um, Gar Snow Sr. is killing the team. But the, the Mets are not – if I had unlimited resources, and I get you can't spend on players unlimitedly. I get that. But you can spend on everything else. Mm. I want all the best players. Like, like players are taking under-market deals in the state of Atlanta. Did you see what happened in Seattle? Of course you guys did. Mm. Seattle, their, their rookie center fielder just signed a roughly – $500 million contract. Great deal for them because it's cheap. It really is. Tremendous deal for them. Yeah. Uh, where's our equivalent? Kellenick was our equivalent, right? Mm. Pete Armstrong Crow is our equivalent. And Kellenick's doing nothing and will do nothing. He's done. His career is already over. Um, Michael Fulmer, we traded for Cespedes, was supposed to be our star. I told you. I wanted them to trade for him again. I told you. And, and by the way, Dan, we're going to have to let you go in a few minutes, but. Uh, yeah, let me get whatever. No, no, but Victor, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, Diaz. I told Met fans when they made that trade uh, to get Diaz, I thought that was a steal. And yeah. and Diaz has it been he Diaz has been one of the best pitchers, closers in base. He is the best closer in baseball right now. But he's been one of the better relief pitchers over. The, if you look at his statistics from this year in, and even though last year was horrible, the year before that he was pretty good. So uh, this guy, and he's going to get a lot of money this offseason. He's going to get a hundred million dollars. He's going to be one. He, he's going to pay a reliever. Uh, he's going to get it. That. He's going to get it. Yeah, but you can't do that. I know you that, can't but, do that. But you know Cohen's going to do it. He's going to give it to me. If I were Cohen, I wouldn't do that. You could find a guy with similar production yeah. for one-tenth the price. And then you take that tenth. Also, the Mets outfield, um, 250, 270, yeah. 290. Who's got 30 home runs? Nobody. Mm. Who's got 100 RBIs? Nobody. I would spend that Diaz money on a, an outfield that hit 300 with 30 home runs on RBIs. Like, that would be where I put the money. But well, that's if why you they got Marte, but it, didn't work, it hasn't worked out for them when it comes well, to Marte's power. not a power guy. No, but he, last year he hit for no. power. Last It was a rarity, but that, that's not Still the same. Still hit for power. Marte, 290-20. Also, didn't Marte have 60 steals last year? He has like yes. 60 Yeah, he, he almost led both yeah. leagues in steals. This year he's been caught yeah. a lot more often. His percentage isn't as good. He still has a lot. Also, had to the speedy. But, but no, Marte was a fine signing this year, and he might be fine next year. But watch, we always see his decline. Where's his speed? Oh, that went away. So the next three years will get faster. No, um, you're gonna pay Nimmo to hit 270 and walk a few times. Yeah, he's an on-base percentage guy, not an average. And I, I like on-base percentage. I love that. I'm a baseball player. I love that. But you're gonna give him 20 million dollars a year to be on base 35 percent of the time. I think you find that for 33 percent time at like one tenth the price. Like, like the the Cohen Mets were set up by what's what he inherited. I get that he inherited this stuff, but you're gonna have to pay it to ground for 43 million dollars to match Scherzer, right? Mm-hmm. So, and and Cohen said 300 million is my limit. Well, Scherzer to ground is 86 million, right? And then Lindor's 30 more, so that's 100 and something. And then you got 20 million of. Um, Marte, right. and then you're going to give $20 million to, to uh, Nemo. At some point, you're going to have a lot of non-productive guys. Like, what is Freeman doing with the Dodgers this year? Three-something. He's playing well. 30, Seven good season, yeah. yeah. Where is the Mets equivalent? We've seen Alonzo fall off the table once they, th- if they once the league, once the Braves, not so 
who's scouted and saw, we could throw a fastball, chest tile, swing it inside of the zone and still miss and hit no home runs and no RBIs, right? He had 100 RBIs, like, on the 4th of July, and he's got 102 today. Like, it's absurd how they figured him out. In the playoffs, they won't. Come on. The Mets team, look at the Dodgers lineup. The Dodgers have, like, nine all-stars in the lineup. The Mets have, like, one. Mm. We're going to compete? I, so, I, the, if I'm... Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, guys. No, no. But if I'm, Steve, if I'm Steve Cohen, I would look at this and go, fire sale. Let's start from day one. I know he wants immediate success because that's who he is. He's a driven guy. But he's going to put Band-Aids on buttholes and be like, well, that works. Speedy it likes work. that. Speedy likes band-aids uh, on buttholes. He might be into that. That might be his thing. For you, Speedy, good for you. You found your thing. But um, <laughs> I- I'm happy for you. Good for you, buddy. But but like you you can't we'll up, look Speedy. at you can't look at the Mets outfit and go, there's an all-star, sorry, superstar out there. Like, who's the Mets equivalent of I mean, for me, I want a guy like a Gary Sheffield or an Albert Bell, or I want um, Amanda Ramirez, stat-wise, not the person, but the stats in my outfield. We have, if you had all three guys up, they don't have those stats. Like, we need that type of hitter. We need a Mike Piazza number behind the plate, not what a 150 hitter behind the plate. Mm. Like, you, you need to improve. The Dodgers just, every year the Dodgers go, we're doing a little bit better than last year. We're going to add a better reliever than what we had. We're going to pull up a better starter from a minor than what we have. The Mets, like, we can't find a starter in our minor league. The Dodgers are doing something that's very unrealistic, though, to expect. The Braves do it, too. The Cardinals do it, too. It doesn't seem unrealistic. When when one, when 10% of the league does it, it seems realistic. Dan? The Yankees do it. Yeah. The Yankees make people reborn. Like, why don't the Mets coaches figure that out? Dan, I'd love to, to continue this conversation. Definitely you got to cool. go, buddy. No, I want you to call up Tuesday. Uh, I, you make some good quality points. You're awesome. Keep listening to the show. We have Gerard coming on. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of football with him and uh, his thoughts. Yes, I'm at Rome. I know. I know. I know it isn't. But uh, I, I'm sure you'll be laughing because Mark Everett Kelly will probably be joining us too. So, uh, oh, nice. That'll be funny. That'll be funny too when he comes on. But thanks, Hi, Danny. Buddy. You're awesome. We'll talk. I'll call you As after always. the show. I love it, man. I'll catch you guys later on. Love be you good. too, man. Danny. And a.k.a. Danny Radical, great writer, great personality, good friend, knows his stuff. Um, A a person that I've grown very fond of, an older brother type of person that I look up to. And and Guy is an unbelievable writer. If you haven't checked it out, uh, go check it out at the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Download our app. Uh, His stories are fantastic. And it's funny. Very funny. I don't know about Lou Lamorella ruining the Islanders. A lot of people believe that the Islanders are, even with the moves that they didn't make this offseason, even hater writers that I've read, I've read think that the Islanders are going to have a miraculous year uh, because they are going to start the season at home and they aren't going to have that COVID protocol problems that they had midseason, which a- absolutely affected the season for them to make the playoffs. And, and if you look at the Islanders' last month and a half – Two months of the season, the Islanders have one of the best records in hockey. So, anyways, when we come back, we will be talking to one half of the overtime, Gerard, and maybe, maybe lurking behind the blinds, the windows, the doors, will pop out a Mark Everett Kelly here 
on the Sports Lab Mounts. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. This is the Sports Loud Mouths. Hot. Rick it. Rick it. Rick it. Rick it. Pick. 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 631-672-3108 is the number. As you know, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network, and we are the Sports Loud Mouths. Go to our website at www.worldwidesportsradio.com. Download our app on iOS, WWSR or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We've had a great show, Speedy. So many great personalities from Steve Garner uh, from USA Today, baseball writer, to uh, CBS Sports and MLB Network broadcaster Rich Waltz. Then we had Danny. Uh, it's, it's been a great show. And why not bring in another personality that knows his sports a friend of the show, one half of the overtime, a guy that we find very funny, very respectable to us, and that's why we love him, Gerard. Gerard, what's going on, man? What is up, boys? Long time, no speak. Have you been? Oh, we're good, man. I mean, look at Speedy. He likes to uh, butterfly his asshole. I mean, we've heard that. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) butterfly is not a verb, but okay. (laughs) Um, You know what, Errol? I got to correct you on one thing, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, today marks my uh, one month anniversary. I started on August 1st. Um, I, I made a transition. I'm now in radio. I'm working with uh, Fox Sports Radio really? uh, down here in Alabama. Yes, we have, we have, a, new, uh, have a new show. I have a co-host. His name is uh, Chase Robinson. Okay. And we, uh, yeah, so it's, it's, a, it's a, a radio show down here. We do everything from high school, college, awesome. and professional sports. And so uh, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. Fox Sports uh, 1029. So no overtime anymore. It was great. It was a good time. Uh, I spent 14 years at that company, but I needed something new. And and uh, so here we are. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's great to be on. Great well, to be on. first of all, Fox Sports is more world-renowned. You're probably making a better check, getting more money. And uh, a person like you wasn't going to sit still. I, I believe you're very talented. Uh, young and energetic, and I believe that you're the future of what radio should be. And hopefully, I could say the same about myself when I get my foot in the door. It's been, it's been rocky. I mean, you did it for 14 years, but it's been rocky. And I, I feel like, you know, I think uh, what I could do in the the sports world and and the industry is change what sports really is. And I think a lot right. of the dull in sports radio and sports radio is a dying breed. And I think. You need to put somebody on. You need to put people on that can bring out the fans, bring out the endorsers, the advertisers, to be willing to put their money and put their organization behind and strap it to your back and and let it ride. And I I just think that there's a lot of uh, mistakes that the industry has uh, really put out there. I'm not taking shots at any of the young guys. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I would never do that. But as a person that's been doing this a long time, and I believe I have something to give to the industry, uh, for me to sit here and, and wait for my time, and I understand everybody's got to wait, but man, oh man, I have, I, I, I believe I'm going to, when, when I get my opportunity, I'm going to let it roar. And no shark, no lion, no alligator, no crocodile is going to stop me <laughs> when I get my foot, you know, where I want it to be. And it might be up, uh, hopefully not Speedy's ass, but somebody's ass. But you know what I mean? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I I agree with you 100. percent And and uh, you, I know you'll probably feel me on, yes. on this. Our world has changed, yes. you know, like th- like th- th- this space, this the, the the sports space has really changed 
probably faster than any other uh, world has changed as mm -hmm. far as just uh, media goes. Um, and so now, you know, any guy with a laptop and whatnot can, can do it. Yes. And if you haven't been honed in the fires of uh, doing it well, which you guys have, and you just putting, you know, day after day, consistent, good work, good content out there, um, that, that, that'll, all, that'll all get rewarded. But it's, it's a different kind of reward than it was maybe 10 years ago. Uh, when I was, you know, helped trying to break into the business, uh, you know, as a, as a high school and college kid and right. then uh, learning the ropes of writing and editing and and then doing the TV structure. But the TV structure is really constricting. You feel like you're in a boa constrictor the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, what I've loved about radio is only been a month, but what I've loved about radio is it's a little bit more freeing. You, you need to still have your basics, but at the same time. You can uh, you can expound on things a little bit more than you can on television, and so I, I agree with you 100. Uh, percent Our world's changing, so you have to just kind of go with the flow yeah. of it. The people that that work at it, the people that grind at it, the people that keep pounding that stone are the ones that will come through at the end. Well, I I, I want it to happen, and I, I have a lot to give to the industry. I think a lot of the industry conglomerates that know who I am and understand what I'm capable of doing, I think they're either afraid of me, or yeah. they're they don't understand what the transition of what sports is and um maybe they do or maybe they're just uh, they're just trying to figure out how they and where they could put me and what what you know what industry or what city would take on somebody that's interesting like me which could you know really take the i believe the bull by its horns but right. uh, it's been it's been interesting and uh, i'm working at it and um but i i believe one way or another the opportunity will be there, and uh, um, I'm waiting for that chance. Just like you, I give you a lot of credit. You you deserve it. I have a tremendous amount of respect for you, and um, and I, I think you're a great personality. I think it, it's endless. Where now that your foot's in the door, it's going to open up so many you know windows and doors for yourself. Where uh, you're you're going to be in bigger, higher places, and eventually you're going to be like you know that guy Errol Marks. You got to get this guy on. I mean, what's wrong <laughs> with you people? You know so. But, uh, you know, I, I'm right now I'm, I'm, I'm going and putting my name out there throughout the industry. Uh, I, I've got some, you know, management that's actually going to help me. And, um, awesome. yeah, it's something that I, I, I haven't really done since, you know, since, you know, I just started doing it in the beginning of the year. I've really put my, my neck out there for the guys that have been a part of the network and giving them opportunities and looking out for them. Right. I haven't really yeah. done it for myself. I think it was a big mistake. and. Not, not to say I wasn't going to do that. I still wouldn't do that for other people. I just, I think it's time for me to concentrate on what I need to do and how I need to do it. And 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 Speedy too. I, I think Speedy's got a tremendous, you know, career and background where this could take it, take him to the next level as well. Yeah, you both certainly have the talent, and you both certainly. And this is not, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. Thank but you. This is like you both certainly have the talent. Number one, but then secondly, you have the engagement, and that's what it is. And that's what's so kind of crazy about our business. It's like you could be the most talented person, yeah. but all you can do is, I heard Drake talk about this with music and it, it works, you know, in a parallel way to what we do. All we can do is just put our content out to the world and the world will tell us, you know, right. if it's worth their time or not. And what you guys have done, what you guys have built has obviously built a, uh, a great community. And I hope that continues to grow. And then the platforms with which you, you're able to share that content grows as well the one thing and, i've, uh, lear I've learned and the one thing i've learned is a lot of these communities if you're not structuring about one team uh, right. it's less people 
following you, like even on YouTube, if you're not talking about the Jets, if you're just talking about the Jets, you're going to draw the Jets community. And if they get right. to know you, they're going to want to draw to you. And if you're, you're concentrating all different sports, it's harder to really draw people because you're all over the place. But that's what that's the problem with the industry is. I, I believe this, and I don't want to talk about this whole show because we've got a lot to talk about, but yeah. uh, what bothers me is is that we're so knowledgeable and we're so commu- we communicate with everything that's going on in sports and our personalities, mm-hmm. and we like to make people laugh. I think people forget that's why you listen to sports radio. You, exactly. you listen to sports radio to be entertained, not to sit there and, and, and listen to everybody's same opinion about the same stuff that's going on. And that's where I think – we make the the industry different. That's where I believe the industry is missing, and, and they're missing right now. They're they're striking out, and I, I and I'm not going to sit here and tell them, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you how you hit a home run. I'm gonna say, you know what? When uh, when I'm ready to hit a home run, I'm gonna hit grand slams, and you're gonna wish you did sign me when I and when right. I was where I was, because then yeah. when you come to me when I am something, I'm gonna say, okay, open up your checkbook. I want I want instead of instead of six digits or seven digits I want eight. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So and that's what's yeah. going to happen. You know because that's the way I sit and I I feel like you know you have an opportunity to give me a shot. What is what is the problem of giving somebody a shot? If I fail, I fail. But if I don't, you just signed one of the next uh, big statements of sports radio that can yep. get the industry back for where it was because it's not in a good place right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because you have, I think it's, it's, it's really been oversaturated to a certain degree. And and then now I think we're going to start to let the cream rise back to the top. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and, and hopefully what you hope is that the consumer really appreciates that. And then the people that are signing the checks really appreciate that as well. Um, obviously, the bigger the platform, the bigger you have. You know, a chance to, to talk to more and more people. But, and you, and you I mean, know this, Gerard. You know this, Gerard. If you're on Fox Sports and you're on and you're on ESPN, they have their own following. You put me on ESPN, you can't honestly tell me, okay, I've got four thousand followers I, on on Twitter because that's all I go on is Twitter right. on my social media. So I have four thousand followers, and the other guy that's in the industry has a thousand followers. But you need more followers for me to draw to you. How is that right. possible when I've got more followers than him? I have more people that follow me on, on my social media, and you're trying to sell me that when I believe I'm better than that guy. And I right, believe right. I blow him out of the water when it comes to you know head-to-head competition, when it comes to entertaining and, and knowing my, my understanding of sports. And I can tell you this right now, and I'm not going to throw anybody names because I have a respect for everybody in this industry running sure. and directing. But I, I, there is not many people that know as much – in the sports industry, not just hockey, basketball, football, and baseball, but mixed martial arts, boxing, tennis, right. golf, right. that knows just as much as I do and not only brings that to the table but brings a, a different energy to the table that could change the industry. So I don't know what it is. I'm trying to figure it out. And the person that gives me my shot, man, I, I, will, I will back them up and I will be there. 110% when, when, when I do change the industry because I believe I am the transition of what this industry is looking for. And I, I want to prove it. I just need the shot, you know, so. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, think, I think it's coming. I really do. I hope um, so, man. I think, I think all these things get rewarded. And, uh, and, for, and for every opportunity that doesn't happen, I used to take it personally as well. But yeah. I, I now just try to spin it forward and say, is working out for me in the big picture. Right. Uh, it might not be in a small picture because I want it to be a, a certain amount, a certain way. 
but it is working out in the big picture. And I agree. I think I think that the cream is, is rising to the, to the top. And as, as long as you keep putting your passion, your energy, I can feel it even right now as we're talking about, we're just talking about industry stuff. We're not even talking about the content, right. but like the passion within you, that spills over. And then the people that that make the, make the decisions can see that yeah. people that resonate with it. The audience can feel that as well. Honestly, it makes for, for good, great content. And I'm here 1000% rooting for you. Thank you. Bro. And helping out a tremendous amount of respect for you. I mean, when we first got you on the show and, and I got to know you and, and really see who you are as a person, I have nothing but my utmost respect for you. You, you are a talented guy and you're still fairly very young and you have your whole career in front of you. And I, it's only, you're only going to move top now. You're you're in Fox Sports. Eventually, Fox Sports or ESPN's going to say, you know, I want this guy. I'll I'll pay him double the amount of money that this, you know. And that's what you need. You, you get your foot in the door, and it just opens up so many doors for you. And the being that you're in Alabama, and and your personality for what it is, I know that if I moved out of New York and I went to another city, and somebody heard me, I I know that they would be like, I, this guy's crazy. You know what I mean? I, I would love to get this guy on the network and see what yeah. he's going to draw to the fan. But uh, unfortunately, it, it's, I, you know, I'm trying to do it here, um, but I, I'm starting to look elsewhere, and I, I'm opening my eyes to the opportunity where I can possibly um, drive myself to another, indi- you know, another uh, city or in the industry where I can uh, – you know, be myself and be unique in that city. And maybe it'll draw me back to New York. Maybe it won't. Maybe I'll be the king of, you know, Cleveland, even though I can't stand the city. But, you know, <laughs> you know but, uh, you know, who knows? Go, I don't care. Go to San Diego. I love that city. San Diego. I mean, the weather over there. Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> Chicago. Uh, well, I, I'll, I'll go anywhere in a big city where I can be myself. And I, I think yeah. that's what I don't want anybody to change me. And I've I've. The one thing I can say about myself, and we'll get into sports because we have Mark now on, and I want to introduce him. The man him. through the window has yes. arrived. Um, the one thing I could say about myself is I have never sat here and kissed anybody's butt to get For where sure. I wanted to go. And I know a lot of yeah. people that have done that. And um, not because I won't, just because I feel that I don't have to. You know, so right. I feel that my talent will explain it and, 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 and it'll sell, to the, sell by itself. And once somebody sees that and realizes that, you know, I don't understand how this kid doesn't have a shot. And, and, and this guy has been sitting here waiting for a shot and they're just throwing him to the side. And, and I, I, there's a bunch of guys that are interested. Uh, they're just kind of like, you know, not sure about when and, and, and how and, and the time that they want to bring me uh, to the forefront. But I'm hoping very, very soon uh, it sure. will open up doors, and I I love about when I hear that you're working for Fox Sports. I, I'm just so happy for you, man. Uh, I expect you to do bigger and better things, and and uh, there's there's more when that comes. And I I want to I want to be where you are, man. Uh, you know, you know maybe maybe in the future we're we're working together. You know, and who knows? Like, yeah. can you imagine me and you on a, on a radio uh, show. Uh, <laughs> hundred percent. I, I don't. I don't know the uh, the, the content tie-ins. If, if you guys can't come on or, or can, but I would love to have you guys on. I was telling uh the guy that that we we co-host the show together uh, on the afternoon in the afternoons, and I was telling him about this, and uh, and he was su- he was super excited, and uh, and I, honestly, I hope that it can work out because uh, honestly, for just the way that it worked out for me after after television, mm-hmm. it just it, we met at SEC Media Days uh, late in July, and he was like, hey. Our, our company really big. It went a radio station that basically went from top 40. And so it, it all kind of fell into place at a, at a really kind of 
perfect time. So awesome. And I know the same. I know the same thing will happen on, on your end. Oh, as well. I do it. I I think it's amazing. And 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 now that you're you're, you're making some real money, and and now you have an opportunity to really take it to the next level. I I have nothing but my utmost respect for who you are and where you've come from. And uh, I expect big things from you uh, very in the near, near future. So congratulations. Yeah, let's get you, anything. let's get Thanks. into sports. We have Mark, the man, damn Everett Kelly, Thanks. the Ming Ming over here. I, I got to check. I checked out your video in, in the library over there, man. Oh man, you are a sexy man. But uh, oh, yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> it, it, it just it comes naturally. What can I say? <laughs> Gee, it's good to see you, man. Yes. Likewise, man. It's good to see you too. It's, yeah. uh, we've seen each other. We used to see each, we saw each other in person a whole bunch, you know, uh, ten months ago, and uh, it's it's good to see you again as well. Yeah, how um, how are you enjoying high school football this year? It's it's, it's good. It's good. It's crazy. It's it, it's. It's wild. We 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 did a we did a, uh, a magazine, a preseason magazine. So I had to bust out the writing chops for the first time, and then uh, and we're doing a show now. And for uh, Speedy and Arrow, like we're we're doing a uh, our our high school football. I'm basically an independent contractor with another show here with a guy who's done high school football around mm-hmm. here for a very long time. Mark knows him. His name is John, and uh, so I, I joined his team. I'm basically I'm 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 gonna I'm an assassin for example. I'm just like a, a mercenary. I'm, I come in. I'm a hired gun and. And I come in, and I love. I do love high school sports. Um, I love college and, and, and pro probably a little bit more, but um, high school sports are, are really big here. And so I, I found a found a nice little home there on Friday nights. And so I, I come in and help do my thing, and, and then we go. So, um, but Mark and I worked Friday nights all last year together. Yeah. And it, it, it's it's good to be back there on Friday nights. Uh, Garage, you're like an F16, baby. You're like an F16. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever you need to torch somebody, you go to Mark. I mean, you go to uh, Gerard. He'll 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 make sure he takes you out. So uh, <laughs> in any kind of way. But we're happy to have you both on. As you guys know, we are talking to now two guys that work together for the overtime, and two guys now. One is a substitute teacher, and he's a big time writer. I love his stories. I love everything that he does. Statistic, statistician. He's the older version of Speedy Petey. Gerard, who is <laughs> yeah. uh, the voice of Fox Sports down in Alabama for high school, for you know professional sports. I'm happy that uh, he's taking his talents to that next level. So why don't we get into college football first, and then we'll go into the NFL. You look at the college football this year, and you look at teams like, obviously, Alabama, Georgia, uh, Clemson, Ohio State, the, the powerhouse, the power five teams, the teams that really every single year stand out. What stands out to you this year from all the other years? Do you think Alabama is the team to beat? Or maybe is it Ohio State, which everybody is saying is just stacked from top to bottom this year that could surprise everybody and maybe win a national championship? Mark, I'll let you go first. Well, I just think that when you look at who Alabama is bringing back, they're bringing back just about all the guys that you would need to make a championship run. Last year was a rebuilding year, and they made it all the way to the championship game where guys got hurt. But for Alabama, that's like expected now. If they don't make the national championship game, that will be a tragic season for Alabama. They're expected to win because of where they got last year in a rebuilding year and because of the guys that they got in the offseason. Uh, it's just now with this new portal and some other uh, rules that have changed that really have benefited Alabama, the rich get richer almost. Uh, when you look at the East, 
Georgia has lost a lot of guys, but Georgia, you know, they don't take long to rebuild. And Florida's going to have a down year, most likely in the East. So who else is there? You know, Kentucky? I, I don't know. I'm, I still don't really buy Kentucky as a legitimate East contender, being that they've never won the East. And South Carolina, you know, Spencer Rattler's good, but I don't know if he can carry the whole oh, team. Oh, God. Was Spencer that? Rattler? Tell Errol that he's good. Oh, my God. Well, I, can't I think stand he'll be good him. at South Carolina. Oh, I can't stand him. QB1, I watched him, him and his family. Uh, I mean, his personality, he thinks – the guy thinks he's Peyton Manning. He's never even stepped on a college football field. And well, then, the Gamecocks don't have much of a history to compare him to, so anything he does will be – Extraordinary. Listen, he lost his job in Oklahoma, right? That's enough. That's why he went to South Carolina where there are no quarterbacks. Yeah, well, there won't be any Spencer Rattler if he's done. They're still the last SEC East team to beat Alabama in the regular season. What do we have? The best they have is Steven Garcia and Phil Petty maybe in the history of South Carolina? I mean, there's not much. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. Uh, There's a lot of what Mark talked about Mm. that I really agree with. To me, it is a three-team race. To me, college football is Alabama, it's Georgia, and Ohio State, and then everybody else is a distant four to one twenty, one thirty-one, or however many teams there are. Um, to me, they, they all return some of the best players, and I think specifically at the quarterback position with with Bryce Young at Alabama, C.J. Stroud at Ohio State, barring something happening crazy injury. Those are, to me, the best two quarterbacks in America. I don't know if you saw this, but the NCAA yesterday came out with a rule, mm. and it's a rule change that said that now a quarterback in motion to throw and after the throw is now a defenseless player. Oh, God. <laughs> Meaning quarterbacks now, it's, it's two-hand touch for them. Tactician quarterbacks are the ones that will eat up college football. And to me, the greatest benefactors of those of that rule change is Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Mm which is the reason why I think those two teams will end up in the national championship game. I, I really like Georgia. I think Georgia's good, but Georgia, to me, uh, from a quarterback perspective, is a step below. I think it was Jeff last year on this show. Uh, I called in, and I, and I was I was kind of tuning the horn for Alabama a little bit, <laughs> and, and he came out and said, it is it is Georgia's year. It's Georgia's year. Oh, yeah, and that I was said, all Jeff. <laughs> but he says that every year, though. Oh, yeah. You got to say that every year. And he knocked it out of the park because Georgia was – honestly, Georgia, to me – had the if you were to pair, compare all the defenses in the country, Georgia to me probably had the next best defense. If you were to compare them to the NFL teams, they probably rate 29th or 30th. Their entire defense ended up going to the NFL essentially. But I, I think that Bama kind of overachieved last year a little bit. Then they got hurt. Jameson Williams got hurt. John Mechie got hurt. Their corners got hurt, and, uh, and they were still able to be in the lead in the national championship game uh, back in January. Now they lost that game. They have Nick Saban. They're hungry, and they got Bryce Young, Will Anderson, DJ Dale, Jordan Battle, all these guys all back. I think everything kind of breaks Bama's way this year. But, I mean, Ohio State is really, really good. And as long as they don't trip up against Michigan like they did last year, I think those two are your national championship contenders. Just when you think the Big 12 is actually going to play some defense this year, they implement rules about quarterbacks being defenseless players. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I want to ask you guys about the coach, a lot of the coaching changes that have happened this offseason. We saw Marcus Freeman take the Notre Dame job, Brian Kelly to LSU, uh, Lincoln Riley, the big one to USC. Is there anyone that you think is a really good fit with that particular team? And maybe other way around, could they see him underwhelm in comparison to their previous schools? The one school that knocked it right out of the park in every way is USC with, with getting Lincoln Riley. Um, he's, he's everything. He's the total package right now of what you need right now in college sports. 
what you need because it's, it's, such, it's such a fluent game. I love Nick Saban, but a lot of times it feels like his feet are kind of stuck in the mud of the way college football used to be, and he's trying to bring that back. I get it. He's, he's worked in the old system for a long time. To me, the perfect guy for this day and age of college football is Lincoln Riley, a guy that can recruit really, really well, a guy that can utilize a transfer portal to flip a roster like this. Mel Tucker is another example of this. He did a great job at Michigan State last year, essentially rehauling his entire roster within an offseason. Lincoln Riley will do the exact same thing. And then he's in a glamorous city. He can sell L.A. He can sell Hollywood. He can sell your reality star. He can sell all the NIL money that can come your way because it used to be under the table. And now that it's all above board, he can sell all of that. He can sell California. You, you got to you know mitigate the taxes part of it. But he can sell all that stuff uh, at, at USC. And then he runs an offense that just really, really caters well to quarterbacks. And we saw last year how Caleb Williams, how well he did it with, at Oklahoma. I expect him to do the exact same thing at USC. Now that we talked about the rules that we just mentioned, that quarterbacks are essentially now untouchable. Uh, I think that it just it works out well for his system. So everything's breaking right into place to me with USC. I don't see them, you know, winning 10 games this year, but I see them very, very quickly being able to, uh, to put themselves in the national championship contention. Maybe year, Urban did it year two. Nick Saban did it year two. I think Lincoln Riley can do it year two as well. They also got a top five receiver in the transfer portal too with Dallas Addison. Yes, exactly. Jordan Addison. Right, right. Who would be playing tonight for Pitt. But the NCAA transfer rules say, ah, you know what? Hey, they essentially can... did a trade. Keaton, Keaton Slovis. <laughs> you know, to Pitt. Yeah, exactly. How about you, Mark? What are your thoughts? Remember the SEC shorts where you had uh, Lincoln Riley thinking about taking the LSU job and then he yep. runs and he gets on a plane to, uh, to California? Yeah. I mean, yeah. he's no dummy, okay? You're not going to join the SEC West and think that you're going to compete for a national championship when you have Alabama, a better Texas A&M, Ole Miss, LSU. So he's much safer out there in the Pac-12. And we also don't know what's going to happen after – you know, Alabama, uh, excuse me, um, well, Alabama and somebody else are going to be going to the East in the SEC yeah. because Texas and Oklahoma are coming to the SEC. So once that happens, you don't know how it's going to affect the rest of the conferences because you have one major power conference. And then if the other conferences decide to combine, like they're talking about, I don't know what's going to happen in college football. It's going to be a mess, okay? And I don't like the fact that you have – these conferences kind of working together to see, okay, well, how can we compete against the SEC? And then the last thing you want is the SEC going off and saying, well, we're going to separate ourselves from college football because it's not fair that we have to play such good teams in our conference. And then the rest of the conferences are just a mess. So hopefully we won't see too many more drastic changes. I don't like the Pac-12 teams coming to the Big the Big Ten. I mean, what is the Big Ten anymore? It's, it's mm-hmm. not even what, what I knew you know, growing up. And I don't know how that's going to balance out. The thing with guys being paid, it works out great for a guy like Lincoln Riley at USC because you saw what Pete Carroll did at USC. You can win at USC if you have personality. So it won't take long for him to get the athletes to go out there. The only problem is, will it still be a conference that guys want to play in compared to the SEC? And right now, even the Big Ten will become. So that will have to play out. I don't really know what's going to happen. As everybody knows, we are talking to Mark, a.k.a. Everett Kelly, and Gerard, uh, the former two partners from the overtime. Gerard is working for Fox Sports. Yeah, that's right. 
Overtime. Yep. And he, that was a great show. It's good. One was. day that's going to be like the stuff I put on YouTube is going to be classics. Me and you breaking down Alabama, you know, in the NCAA tournament in 2021. Right. <laughs> what, where they couldn't exactly. shoot a free throw? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Against UCLA. Yeah. But I got a great story for you guys with Howie Schwab, the time that we invited Howie on. And then I didn't, I didn't actually record the session. Man, he was, because Howie, Howie's got, like, he was so generous to give us his time, but he's got some health issues. And he did not feel well. Like, he did us both a favor. He really did. And then stupid me forgets to record. I, I honestly, I almost drove home that night. And I was like, I ain't even doing this because I'm so disappointed <laughs> in myself. Well, I, you know, it's so interesting because over the last couple of days, I've been watching movies. And I checked out a movie called uh, National Champions. Uh, it's a movie that came out in COVID time. Uh, it's about a quarterback, uh, the top quarterback in the country, the Heisman Trophy winner, LaMarcus James, who was going into the national championship mm-hmm. and uh, decided to come out and uh, fight for players to make money with all the money that, uh, you know, obviously teams are making and colleges are making throughout the ball games and the national championships and, and that the players weren't, they couldn't you know, get food. They couldn't pay for their own food or get, you know, get people to pay for their food or even pay, get paid for their own names. And they, he fought and fought and fought. And then the NCAA was trying to throw him under the bus, try to find everything in his background to ruin this kid because he was going to be a a predominant number one pick in the draft. It's really, it's a really good movie. It's, it's, it's really messed up on, on how these, you know, these organizations are willing to throw you under the bus, no matter how smart, how, great of a player you are and how uh, good of a person you are they'll find everything they'll find something that you did in your past and try to ruin you it's such a good movie so if nobody has ever seen that movie check it out it's national champions and now the game is completely different because now college players are making money i've argued that i think uh it's good for the game Uh, a lot of these college players they're not in it for the college education. They were going to college football because that was their only way of getting into the NFL and helping their families and supporting their families for the better. So the fact that finally the players are standing up, they're, you know, they're, they're forming a players union and all that other stuff, I think it's so very important for benefit, beneficial for the players that are never going to play in the NFL from the players that are getting hurt in college and they have no benefits and no you know, background when it comes to their families because they come from very poor families where these kids could actually make money, you know, hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars when they're in college, maybe never step foot on an NFL football field. So it's a fantastic, fantastic thing. They have to figure out what they can make and talk about Texas. And this is my question for you guys. Uh, Peyton Manning, uh, Archie Manning, uh, the nephew uh, of Peyton Manning, Eli Manning, um, and uh, obviously uh, his father was a pretty good wide receiver that never got a chance to play in the NFL. Some people say he was better than both of them and could have been a Hall of Fame wide receiver in the NFL. And really the background, Archie Manning, the kid, he had a chance to go to LSU. He had a chance to go to Alabama, Georgia, all these Power Five teams. And he decided to go to Texas. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of people are wondering, why would he choose Texas when he could have went to any one of those teams and win a national cha- – or win back-to-back or at Heisman trophies, but instead he went to Texas. And a lot of people believe is because Texas opened up their pockets. So 
What what are your thoughts to the way the game and college game is going to transition now, now that you have all these Texas teams, Texas, Texas A&M, all these teams that have more money than Alabama, more money than LSU and Georgia, where they can absolutely rebuild their college, you know, scouting by, you know, pulling out their checkbooks and, and, and paying for these players to come and play over there? I think it's it's really interesting because we've entered a landscape in sports to where your big old school national brands that used to matter don't matter as much anymore. The good thing for Alabama is that this rule didn't get passed when Mike Shula was the head coach. Mm-hmm. No disrespect to Mike Shula, but Alabama doesn't have the infrastructure to go out and have CEOs of Fortune 500 companies that are huge boosters that want to you know spill a bunch of money into the uh, into the program. Texas does. Texas has all kinds of oil money. We've seen what gas prices have done over the last few years. We, um, you have Miami. You have USC. These these colleges, the college campuses that sit in the middle of these huge urban, well-developed economics go, these places that, that really love their ball. Uh, you talk about college towns, Tuscaloosa. You talk about a college town like Athens, Georgia, like Auburn, Alabama. These places that have some rich people, of course, but they don't have the numbers that Texas has. I think college sports is about to change big time. The good thing for Alabama is, is that at least in the meantime, they have the greatest coach of all time. He can at least still sell. You come to this program. We can get you to the NFL. This is our track record. Here it is. Places like Auburn will struggle. Gainesville will struggle a little bit. But I'm really interested to see what USC, Texas, and USC do. Because to me, those are sleeping giants. Those three programs are sleeping giants for a multitude of reasons. Number one, because of the money that they have access to. They have access to a whole lot of money, uh, you know, from from an oil perspective from Texas, from a entire city perspective from Miami, because they're just been dying for a champion. And from USC, I mean, you're in the middle of the entertainment capital of the world. And so, in my opinion, like those three, to me, as long as they get the coach right, if they can nail the coach, then they're good. LSU. Their last three coaches have won national championships. Their last two have been fired. That's how good of a hot recruiting hotbed <laughs> that they're sitting in. Les, Les Miles fired, Ed Orgeron fired. Both team, both coaches won national championships. Nick Saban also won it as well. So I think you're going to have this nice little mix of recruiting hotbeds. Can they keep the talent in-house? And then you have these national brands that have a lot of access to money. That's the key word is the access. Because if you miss on the coach – then the access doesn't matter. Miami's missing the coach so many times. After Larry Coker, and really even Larry Coker, who kind of rode the coattails. But like, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't hit the coach, then you're really struggling. That's the reason why at the top of the segment I talked about USC mm-hmm. because I think USC hit the coach right, and they're also in that in that hotbed right now. So um, to me, Texas, I think they hit the coach right with Steve Sarkeesian. He's put a lot of guys in the NFL. He might not have the greatest win loss record. I think he's a good developer of quarterbacks, and that's probably some of the reason why uh, Arch Manning chose uh, Texas. But Texas is a sleeping giant as well. So those programs, those three programs especially, if they hit the coach right, to me they're, they're in a prime, prime position to take advantage of these new rules in college football with all the NIL money flowing in. Got it, Mark. Yeah, I, I agree with him. I, I think that when you look at Texas A&M, you have Jimbo Fisher there, okay? So Jimbo's a guy that's won national championships, so he's proven himself kind of – and. It's easy to go to Alabama and play for Saban. Not everybody wants to do that. Some people want to write their own tickets here. I want to beat Alabama. That, to me, is worth more than going there and winning a national championship. And I think Texas A&M can key on that. 
But then you also have other schools in the SEC West. If you look at the SEC West compared to the SEC East, they've dominated the East, okay? And LSU's won a national championship. Auburn's won a couple of SEC West conference uh, you know, titles, which is really hard to do since Saban's been on his run at Alabama. Auburn's been the second most successful team as far as division winners in the SEC West, better than LSU. So, uh, and that's not really a school that you would think of is going to be able to cash in on this, like like Gerard said. But you think LSU could, I'm worried about Notre Dame because Notre Dame's got a boatload of cash. That's why they never joined the conference. They don't Mm -hmm. have to. They create their own revenue. Will they sort of break their holier-than-thou that Notre Dame always gets, that they never cheat, they always get the right guys, or whatever. Like, I'm not a Notre Dame guy, never have been. But you know what a Notre Dame fan stands for. They're always above board, which is, you know, nonsense. They're the, co- they're the, they're the Cowboys of college. Kind of, yeah, yes. kind of. Or the Yankees, you know, or Duke. Like, mm-hmm. they're in that kind of, you know, where you hate them if you're not a, if you're not a fan of them. Um, I don't necessarily hate him, but Lou Holtz, and I, I like Lou Holtz as a person, got to know him at ESPN, but he ran the most boring, off, god-awful offense when he was there with, like, Tony Rice and some of those guys and Jerome Bettis, and I couldn't take it anymore. Right? But they did West Virginia in 1989, a national championship I'll never forgive him for, and uh, I've been disinterested ever since. But they could become a player here, too. Um they're, they're not any dummy. They didn't want to join a conference because they don't want to have to share their money, okay? And they're going to have a lot of it. Will they step up to the plate and start buying players? I don't know. That might be too good for them, but I think they would do it differently. Uh, Texas, you know, Texas is going to spend money. But Sarkeesian, as great as he can work with quarterbacks, he's never done it alone. Can he do it alone? I, I, I don't know. He's always had to have a guy uh, that knew more than him to lead him. Last year was a really bad year for him. If he does that again this year, he's done. And and then then what do you do? Then you got to rebuild the program again. So what moving. Do you think? Oh, oh God. Wait, Gar, are you going to say ahead. something? Go ahead, Speedy. No, I was just saying. I don't know if Gar was going to say. Go ahead, Speedy. So no, I, go, yeah, go ahead, Speedy. No, I was just, just going to move on to the NFL. Uh, we just saw Russell Wilson get a big contract, five years, $245 million, and becomes the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL now. And. We saw Kyler. the most guaranteed money most out of guaranteed any, money any yep. quarterbacks has ever yeah. got. Wow! Yeah. And uh, we also saw Kyler Murray get paid very similar as well. And then there's Lamar Jackson, who's still waiting on that contract and might not get it because he set a week one deadline. So, what are your thoughts on Russell Wilson's contract and also what maybe could be for Lamar? On Russell, number one, there's a lot of people that are super high on Russell. I think some of his best football is behind him, mm-hmm. not in front of him. He walks into a really great situation, uh, and I think that what they think is that. He could recreate what Tom Brady did with Tampa Bay and what Peyton – actually, Peyton Manning was a pioneer of this. Uh, a quarterback who's a free agent, franchise guy that comes into an organization, automatic success, wins the championship. Uh, Tom Brady followed that same mold going to Tampa. And uh, obviously, uh, uh, Matt Stafford last year doing the exact same thing. I think that they think that Russell Wilson is going to do a similar thing in Denver. Guys, I just don't see it. I, I, I don't see it. I, I know Denver's got a really talented roster, but their division is brutal. Mm-hmm. And just to get out of there with, with a wild card chance is brutal. Not to mention the AFC. Their conference is brutal. Their conference is really tough. Their division is super tough. I just don't know if they have enough in order to make to make that worth it. So 
yeah, he'll go in 12, 13, maybe 14 wins in the regular season. I don't – I see it ending a little bit like the way Aaron Rodgers' seasons have ended. Like good but disappointing. Good but disappointing. And how many of those does he have? That's the question. I think he's got more of a runway than Peyton did at the time with Denver. And Tom Brady does have what right now with, with Tampa. He, he's got more of a runway. Uh, Brady, let's just call it – say after, let's say he retires after this year, maybe next year. That's a good four-year run. What did he do uh, to his face? Gosh, I have. Yeah. Looks like Skeletor. <laughs> he looks like Skeletor from He-Man. I mean, huh. he looks horrible. <laughs> Franchise guy going to a loaded team. I think that people who think that the Russell Wilson situation is going to work the same way as everybody else. I think Wilson is at the, the age he's going to be 30, 30, 34. So there are some guys that, that have get their second wind at that time in their career. Um, think of a guy like Rich Gannon or you know even Brady. Had his rebirth a little bit later. Um, and when you look at Wilson in his last, since 2017, he's kind of graduated to being better than he was earlier in his career when he won his Super Bowls. So since 2017, he's got 165 touchdown passes and only 42 interceptions, and he averages 370 yards a game passing. I mean, that, that's pretty extraordinary for a quarterback. With Denver, maybe he can take advantage and win a Super Bowl, but he's got to do it in the next couple of years. I don't think he's going to have much time to do that outside of these first couple of years. You saw what happened to Peyton. Peyton, what, 55 touchdown passes his first year? Yep. But remember, they didn't make it to the Super Bowl. They lost to, what, Baltimore yep. in the divisional round? Um, and Russell Wilson has a few of those bad losses on his resume. So quarterbacks like that in the postseason are Rodgers, too. They're susceptible to losing games you don't expect them to lose. Rodgers is in that, um, excuse me, Russell Wilson is in that category. So even though he might be in an ideal situation, I still want to see him get back to the Super Bowl and not suffer one of those losses like some of those other quarterbacks like Peyton did, like like Rodgers did, because that's really the difference between them and a guy like Brady. Brady usually doesn't have those consistent bad playoff losses, even though he has a couple. Those other quarterbacks tend to. And it might turn a great regular season into a postseason that you will never forget because you lose to a team you shouldn't lose to. We are talking to Mark and Gerard, the two counterpartners from the overtime. Obviously, Gerard is with Fox Sports. And uh, Mark is uh, a substitute teacher. He's still yeah. a writer. He's still doing his stuff. Close. Yes, there Your you go. Heart kind of went up a little bit above me there. Yes, Emmy Award winner, Mark, who has won uh, a couple yeah. of Emmys over there yeah. with ESPN and has been very successful in the industry uh, over the years. Uh, but uh, I, I want to get to the New York Jets. And uh, oh Zach Wilson got hurt, uh, well, had, well, was injured in week one of the preseason against the Eagles. He threw an interception. Uh, and then obviously ran 30 yards and then didn't slide and didn't run out of bounds. He jerked his leg. And every single doctor, all of a social media analyst, all the Jet fans said, oh, there's the season. Zach's out. We're going to be looking for a new quarterback in next year's draft class. It might happen. It could happen. Uh, Mark, you first because you're the Jet fan. You look well, at Joe. Hold on. You look at Joe Douglas this year. He had a very good draft. Uh, a lot of people thought he stood out out of all the teams. Them and the Jets in Baltimore were the two teams that really stood out the most. And why not? Because Joe Douglas is from, you know, Baltimore. Ozzy was his, uh, his pro. well, he's Ozzy's protege, whatever it is. Uh, he had a good draft. 
a lot of these draft picks just haven't panned out. Makai Beckham can't stay healthy. I mean, there's other players that he drafted. Ashton Davis really hasn't panned out. But this year's draft class really stands out. Elijah Moore could be a star. We'll see. Uh, Elijah Veritaka played very well uh, as a guard in the second half of the season. Um, if Zach Wilson doesn't take, you know, two steps forward this year and show that he could be a franchise quarterback, uh, does the question one is, does the Jets look for a new quarterback in next year's draft class as it's been, it's been said to be loaded? One. And two, does Joe Douglas, even though his draft class and some of these guys could pan out and become stars in this league, could Joe Douglas be looking on his way out, even though everybody thinks the guy's a genius? Well, I think this is the year you need to see results. We both agree that the Jets have put themselves in a great position. They've rebuilt their offensive line. That was a must. Now you look at, people say they have one of the better offensive lines, even without Beckton. Okay. I don't know what I think of, of the quarterback. Zach Wilson. I mean, of Zach Wilson. I I don't know. I've already forgotten his name. I don't know what I believe about him yet because he's been injury prone and he played well the second half of the year last year, but not great. Um, and he's got to prove himself to where he can consistently win games. His stats won't really matter to me if he's winning games, and that's his most important thing. Can he make the drive when you need him to to win you the game? And if he can do that, then he'll be sold to Jet fans. Until that happens, because the Jets, until they win, everything that Douglas has done, which has been very good, better than any other GM, they've built themselves to succeed, but now they have to succeed. And if they don't, it'll probably be Saylor would be the first one to go. So if Saylor goes 3-14 and 14 this year, he's gone, okay, before Joe Douglas is gone. And then if the next coach comes in, if they can't win under him, then Douglas, I can see maybe his job being affected. But because he gave the Jets very good drafts, at least on paper, okay, you still don't know what these guys' careers are going to be like, but on paper, the Jets have – pretty much done everything right over the last couple of years. Can they take that next step? It's going to be really hard in a very competitive AFC and a very competitive AFC East. When you look at who would they compete with right now, they're probably at maybe New England's level, maybe Miami's level, but they're not at Buffalo's level. And that really, when you don't win your division that in the way football is shaped, you don't get any home games in a playoff. So that can be kind of tough at first. But for the Jets, they have to just worry about winning games and getting at least to 500. And then if they do that this year and um, what's his name again? The quarterback. Zach oh, Wilson. Zach, Wilson. Yeah. Zach, Zach Wilson. Wilson. I'm thinking Zach Wilson. Yeah. Or, yeah. If, if he plays well enough, then he'll have proven himself. But if he comes out and he doesn't win games and they go six and, you know, six and 11 and he doesn't get any better from game to game where they are playing close games, then it's the same old story. How many times are you going to draft a franchise quarterback and be bad at it? Wow. So I don't know if I would buy drafting another one. I think at that point, they would have to go out and get a proven guy. How about you, Gerard? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm somewhat in the same boat, but I, I'm a little bit more optimistic about the roster in general. I really like what they've done with this roster. I think this roster is ready-made for a good quarterback. I think in a perfect world, I don't know what the salary cap numbers would look like. In a perfect world, I think I'd, I'd give San Francisco a call and see what Jimmy G's going, you yeah. know, see what Jimmy G's up to. Perfect. That way, because you you at least have a, a good quarterback with a, with a ready-made system. I like what they've done with the draft. The guy, Garrett Wilson from Ohio State, 
really like him. Uh, got a guy from uh, uh, LSU, Quan Alexander, who actually he played his high school football uh, not even 10 miles away from where Mark is sitting right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he's, he's obviously a, re- a really great, uh, a good player. Um, I, I think what they've done on the O-line, they've, they've had some injuries. Obviously, you hate to hear the, uh, the news about Beckton, but they've done enough to solidify that team. I just wish that they had a quarterback that could lead it. Now, they're not in the same situation that Denver's in, where they're a quarterback away from possibly being in the hunt for a championship. But they're close enough to where it's not a disaster. And they're close enough to where if Zach Wilson, after this injury, doesn't show you that he's the guy, I think that the way that the salary cap rules are made and the way that the the, the rookie uh, uh, salary weight, salary, um, the, the contracts are paid out for rookies, you can move off for a quarterback quickly. You couldn't back in the day because you would sign Sam Bradford, $72 million contracts. You don't have to do that anymore. I just personally, I'm just going to speak honestly for myself. I never really liked Zach Wilson. I thought that he was a little bit more talented version than Johnny Menzel. I think that got a lot of the moxie and the confidence that I really want to see out of a franchise guy. He just doesn't have the size, in my opinion, doesn't have the speed. He's got the arm. Um, So to me, this seems a quarterback away from being really good. But really good, as Mark said, in a very stacked division in the AFC East where Buffalo is probably the favorite to win the conference. And then you have New England. They have the greatest coach of all time. And Miami, who's really building a very, very good team. Most dangerous team in the NFL, in my opinion, this year. Really? I'm Their offensive you, line is horrible. It isn't good, but what I think what they're going to do to mitigate that is just have two or throw the ball out super quickly, which that's kind of plays to his strengths. He did that at Alabama as well. Like, at Bama, he had a, he had a a, a better O-line that can hold blocks for four or five seconds. But um, but I think that the offense is going to cater itself to, hey, get the ball out very quickly. And do you Jay think Waddle. two is going to stay healthy enough to do that? I mean, come on. This that's is, the question mark. That's yeah. the question mark. I, you just have to kind of hope that a guy that's injury prone doesn't <laughs> sustain another injury. Um, I, I Something about Miami to me this year feels like it's, it's going to work. It, the, the pieces are going to work where the offense will, will will really help out their star quarterback. But as far as the Jets go, I just think that the Jets are they're kind of they're they're victims of things that are out of their control. The division's out of their control, that their conference is out of their control. So even if they're better overall, the record might not look as good. They were what, right. they won four games, I think, last year. Their schedule um, is brutal. You're the fourth worst team in the NFL. You get the fourth pick. Year in and year out, the last three years have had the top seven Hardest schedules in all of yes. the NFL. It doesn't make sense. Yes. It, doesn't. it doesn't make it doesn't. sense. It doesn't. And and I think the uh, uh, I'm not sure who the AFC East crossover is this year. It might just be one north, of the North. Uh, and they AFC have, North. They have yes. to play all four right. teams back to back to back games. And then they have the right. NFC North. Right. It's just really really tough, and it's, it's it's going to be hard. I think for for the Jets to get out of it. But the thing is, I think with the Jets, you kind of have to look at it with a different eye. You can't look at it in just the win-loss column. You have to see it through an eye of, is our overall team a little bit better than it was last year? And if not, and if you think a quarterback change is what's going to be needed, then go 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 draft a quarterback. Um, and honestly, Gerard, Gerard, you and Mark watch football. You guys are big football guys, and, and you watch quarterbacks. And there's a thing that a quarterback has, that confidence level, that whenever you stand in the pocket – 
Don't matter how strong your offensive line is. Don't matter how good your wide receivers are, like Aaron Rodgers, like Tom Brady, like Russell Wilson. You go up and down those rosters, and you see what these guys have done. Drew Brees. You could stand in the pocket, and you trust that they're going to get the ball to the right guys. They're going to scope the field, and they're going to make the plays. And it just sometimes I wonder with Zach Wilson if he can do that. I think he's got a tremendous amount of. I think he has more, just as much talent as Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. The question is, can he see the, see the field like those guys? That's the problem. I think he's got all the talent in the world. Does he see the field like them when he watches his first guy, his first option, uh, get double teamed? Is he looking at the third and fourth option when he when he knows where they're going to run their routes? That's what scares me about Zach, and that's with every quarterback the Jets have had year in and year out. They don't scope the field. Sam Donald had a problem doing that. Go up and down. Geno Smith had a problem doing that when he came into the league. None of these guys look at the field like a quarterback, a top quarterback, should look at the field. Josh Allen, it took him almost three years to figure that out. Yeah. And he had, a, he had a quarterback guru in Dable helping him and, and standing by him and giving him the options to see the field the way he is and ch- changes uh, his throwing motion and his, the way he steps into the pocket. It's different now. The game is different. The speed of the game is different. And, and, and now the quarterbacks are tr- treated like prima donnas. So I'm tired of hearing you know uh, uh, people tell me that Zach Wilson don't have the talent. What I'm tired of, as uh, what I've seen, is Zach Wilson has no excuses this year. He's got none. You, okay. Last year he had no offensive Injury? weapons. No, Injury? Yeah, well, that's the only thing. The, the, okay. the offensive weapons that he had last year was none. Okay, Braxton right. Berrios was the best guy he had. This right. year, you got Berrios. You have Wilson. You have Elijah Moore. You have Mims if he's there. You have Cager who got better and, and, and bigger. You have Conklin and, 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 and Usuma. You have all these Brees different Hall. guys, Brees Hall and Michael Carter you, and this kid Knight. You have weapons now, and you have an offensive line. If you're not going to go out there and shut people up because everybody thinks that the Jets are still going to be the worst team in that division, that they, even with the talent that they have, doesn't matter what talent they have, they, don't, they can't compete with the other teams. I think that's a bunch of bull you-know-what, okay? <sighs> go out there, make the plays, play defense. You have Sauce, you have DJ Reed. You arguably have one of the more underrated secondaries in football. Go out there, shut down the high-flying offense, stay in the game, and come down to the fourth quarter and let your young quarterback actually have game-winning plays and make the plays. It don't matter if you have... 180 yards and two touchdowns. It don't matter if you throw three, 400 yards. Just win the damn game. Let me give you an example, Errol. So like last year, okay, Jets had the big winner over, over Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Then they get smashed by New England. Mm-hmm. They have the big win over Cincinnati. They get humiliated by Indianapolis. Those things can't happen this year. Okay, they can't play games like that where they give up over 500 yards. Their defense looks totally awful. And offensively, they might do some things, but they're never really in the game. This is the year they have to play. And every game's got to be within, like, one score. Now, they they could suffer through a 7 and a 10 season that way, and still most of their fans would be okay if they see improvement. See, I call call him little Donny Osmond. Felica is the one. Chris Felica is the one that gave him that nickname because – you don't know this guy, a prima donna, all of a sudden like, when he's drafted, but he hasn't proven anything on the field. Probably the last Jet quarterback that was good at reading a defense was Pennington. They're really, Sanchez wasn't good at it. You know, uh, Geno Smith obviously wasn't good at it. 
Fitzpatrick was good some games, but not every game. So when you think about Fitzpatrick has the second highest passing total for a single season in Jets history next to the name is 4,000, who was the first ever 4,000-yard passer. Since then, Jets have never had another one. That's hard to believe in today's passing world of the NFL, which everybody passes for 4,000 yards. So if he can develop into that, then they would have graduated to that level that most of the NFL has been at for the last 15 years. Jets have never gotten there. But they have gotten some players in now that can put them there. Their problem is, is that until that happens, people are good, like me, who have been a fan our whole life, that's what we need to see. And even someone like you is a little more optimistic than I am. If they don't put together with all the talent they have, then that really doesn't say much about their organization. And I'm organization. not optimistic. They're rostering Miami to Buffalo. And, you, and everybody keeps saying the Buffalo, Buffalo is so much better and so much more talented than the Jets roster-wise. That's not true. Their defense, very similar. I think the Jets' secondary is just good as good as the Buffalo's secondary, maybe even better. Um, their front seven, they have a bunch of rookies, Buffalo, this year, besides Von Miller. They're a bunch of young guys. The Jets have yeah. veterans. Carl Lawson. They have Quinn Williams that's right, expecting they, a contract. Bills have proven themselves. The Jets that's fine. C.J. Mosley, Kawan Alexander. I think when it comes to veterans and players that they have that have been pro ball players, I believe the Jets are just as talented defensively as the Buffalo Bills that have been a high-flying defense for year in and year out. And offensive line, it's not even close right yeah, now. They'll, they'll prove it's it. not even what, close. They yes, they got to right. The quarterback's got to prove it. The quarterback's got to go out there and make the plays. As far as talent is concerned and comparing the teams and offenses, uh, they're very similar. Matter of fact, the Jets have the better running game. Brees okay, Hall a, and Michael Carter. do it. Yes, that's the quarterback. The quarterback's got to make the plays. But as far as talent is concerned, for everybody to say Buffalo far, by far is the more talented team, that's a cracker you know what. Because yeah, it's can't not say true. That until it happens, Bauer. You can't. I'm talking about talent, Mark. I know, I'm not but talking talent about... is what you do, how you execute. It's not what your it is. Your quarterback. Your quarterback. Right, hey, hey, Errol, I, I got a question for you, Errol. Take take all four quarterbacks out of the equation. Yeah. Rank the rosters in this division because I, th- I think you're hitting on something that I agree with. I didn't think about it till you said it, mm. but um, I if you're taking because once you put Josh Allen in, it takes the Bills from here to here, obviously. So once the quarterbacks are removed, wh- where do you rank the four teams here? Oh, it's it's very simple, and 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 you guys, I'm, it's, this is not coming from a Jet fan. You look at Buffalo Bills. Buffalo Bills' offensive line is good. They're probably. The second best offensive line in this division behind the Jets. Dwayne Brown and Lankin Tomlinson, you added two pro ball players to that offensive line. To Elijah Vera Tucker, who was one of the best guards in the second half of the season. Um, you, Font, who was a top 11 uh, you know, uh, tackle in, in the division last year uh, in, throughout the league. And then McGovern, who's been, even when he's not healthy, a top 10 center in all of football. That offensive line is much better than every offensive line in the division. Then you talk about the run games. Now, the Patriots have a very good running game. They have a four-headed monster, three-headed monster. It's very good. Harris might not be there by the trade deadline. They, they might yeah. move him. So take him out of the equation. Then you look at Miami. Miami, they have some good young running backs. Are they running backs that you're going to trust all season? They can't stay healthy. And Buffalo, they don't have a running game. So Brees Hall and Michael Carter, I think the Jets have the better running game. Then you look at the wide receivers. Now, the best wide receivers in this division, it's not even a question. The Dolphins, Waddle and Tyreek Hill, they are the best duo in this, in, in this division. But 
Then you look at the Patriots, Parker and, uh, you know, Myers and everything. I think they have the worst. And then you look at the Bills. They have Diggs. They have, um, uh, what's his name? Gabriel, Davis, Gabriel yeah. Davis, who had a very good yeah, season. Yeah. Yeah. This is this has got to be a second year for Gabriel Davis to do that, okay? And he's he's fighting for a contract this year. So they have a, they have a good duo. The Jets have a three-headed monster. Corey Davis, when he was before he got hurt last year, he had five touchdowns at five hundred and some odd yards, and now he he got hurt in the seventh or eighth or ninth game last year. He missed almost the whole second half of the season. Couldn't stay, and when he did come back, he couldn't even stay on the field. Then you have Garrett Wilson, who's young. We got to see what he's going to do, but we expect him to do high volume stuff. And then Elijah Moore, who before he got hurt was the best rookie wide receiver in the class last year. So he was playing just as good as Waddle, besides Jamar Chase, of course. Jamar Chase was unbelievable. But, I, I mean, and, and, and if you want to take the Jets, the Jets were the third out of the wide receivers. But then you look at the other weapons, the tight end depth that the Jets have, they have the best tight end depth out of, the, out of all the teams. Best tight end depth. And, and, and then you look at the defense, front seven. The front seven, with the depth that they had in Kawan Alexander, um... Um, C.J. Mosley, Quincy Williams, who played very well in the second half last year, really exploded. Quinn Williams, who had to play do everything last year, being triple teamed. Yeah. Now he doesn't have to do that. Carl Lawson. Uh, now you have Jermaine Johnson. You have John, uh, John Michael. Uh, uh, John, John, My- Michael John Michael Myers. You have all these different guys, Rankins, who couldn't do the things that they were strongest at. This team is, is and, and their secondary. Best secondary, even with Buffalo secondary, with White and, and the kid that they drafted, um, what's Elam. His name? Elam, who everybody keeps talking about. Yeah. He's had an okay preseason, I've heard. He hasn't looked good. The depth that the Jets have in their secondary is by far the best secondary in this division. So, you're my honest opinion, besides the quarterback, I, I, and this is not coming from a Jet fan, the Jets are the most talented team in this division as far as star power and players that can make plays. They got to do it. They got to prove it on the field. But you see what they have on the team. Kwan Alexander, pro ball player, okay? C.J. Mosley, pro ball player, one of the top tacklers in the league last year. Quinton Williams, he had to do all the different things. He will be a pro ball player this year. Carl Lawson, he, he's never had double-digit double, double digit, um, ta- sacks, but he, he's gone to the quarterback just as much as anybody did when he was over there in Cincinnati. I, I, I mean, Rankins, he's been a pro ball player. You, you look at all the different players that they have on this roster and what they could do, and a secondary, D.J. Reed, pro ball player. You, you're talking about sauce. They didn't even throw the sauce in the, in the yeah. whole preseason games. So that just shows you how my, how scared quarterbacks are to throw to that side of the field. Michael Carter had two interceptions in the preseason games. This kid's going to, I believe, is going to be one of the best slot corners in all of football. And then a safety play, I don't like Joyner, but I love Whitehead. I love him. I think it was a great pickup. He reads the offense. He's the leader of this defense. Not only do I think the Jets could be a top 10 defense, they could be a top 5 defense, and they don't even have to blitz. And, and, and to me, talent-wise, full, trench talent-wise, out of the quarterback equation, it's not even an argument. I don't care what anybody tells me. Argue to I, I crap myself in my pants. There is no way the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Patriots have more talent on their roster in their starting lineups. Maybe, you know, backup players. No way. And by the way, the Jets have the best punt returner in all of football, Braxton Barrows. And people forget how good he was in the slot last year and, 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 and Zach Wilson's blanket. And he was the best wide receiver the Jets had in the second half. So, yes, I'm going to argue until I'm dead. This roster 
is as good as any roster in the division. The problem is Zach Wilson could be the worst quarterback out of all. And I think it's Tua, but he's the third. And you can't sit here right now and say that Mac Jones. And Mac Jones did not have a good preseason. And he has nobody to throw to. And he better watch out because that offensive line, even with Brown, even with the players that they have over there, they have not looked good in the preseason. They've looked like crap. They have looked, I know it's preseason, but they look like crap. Let's see what they do when they have to play good rosters and good teams and when it comes down to pressure. Bill Belichick is the smartest man in football. No question. They don't have Tom Brady anymore. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Yes, my argument to this, the Jets have the best all-around roster in this whole division. And it's not even an argument or crying or arguing and testing the waters on this one. To me, I, I think that the, the, the Bills roster and the Jets roster, to me, are kind of one and two right now. You make a good layout as far as the O-line and the defense, the depth of the defense for the Jets. I think that that sets them on that new level. And because Alabama, we don't have pro teams here. We don't have pro football teams. We just kind of like root on our college guys that go there. So I go pro. So, so when you mention CJ Uzama, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, poor damn eagle. And then when you mentioned Carl Lawson, I'm like, poor damn eagle. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, Bama flavor. CJ Uzama obviously went to Alabama as well. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the guys you mentioned. But no, I think that the reason why I was asking you that on the front end was because I wanted to see that if it is a make or break year for Zach Wilson, mm-hmm. how good does he have to be in order to get to that next level? So it doesn't look like if the Jets have the best roster, it doesn't look like he has to overcome a ton no. to get to that next level. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, when you compare apples to apples, you, most people would think Josh Allen is a, a lot better than Zach Wilson. But I don't think Zach Wilson has to play to the level of Josh Allen to have the team success be at the exact same level. Stop throwing interceptions. Stop throwing interceptions. Stop forcing the ball into spots that you're not going to get it to your wide receivers. Make the plays. You don't have to be a superstar player. You don't have to throw in your back foot and do one of these haymaking throws that you have to impress everybody. Go out there, run. That's your strength. You have Dwayne Brown. You have Font. You have the, the, the guard play. You got arguably the two best guards in football. In, in, you absolutely have the two best guards in your division. It's not even an argument. Elijah Ferry Tucker is one of the best guards in all of football. Young guards in football. And then you add Lankins, who, who's been uh, – Lankin Tomlinson has been one of the best guards in football for the last four years. So to sit here and say, well, you don't have the interior. You have the interior. You have the out. You have everything. Go out there. Stay healthy and make plays. Stop with the bull crap. Stop crying. Stop making love to your mom's girlfriend. Who the hell cares? Go out there and make the goddamn plays, you blonde-headed bastard. That's all I'm going to say. I'm tired of listening to Jet fans. I'm tired of listening to the analysts. They make me sick to my stomach. I want to crap myself. Go out there and play the damn game. You've played it since you were, what, eight years old, seven-year-old, P-Wave. I don't care how stupid you are. You have the weapons. You have the morons on the sidelines that can call the plays and do the things that you need to do. Just go out there and make the goddamn throws. That's all you have to do, and you will win eight games this year. Even though your your schedule's so hard, you are better than you're better than the the, the quarterbacks that uh, that Cleveland Browns have in Brissett. You're better than Brissett. Stop with the bull crap. You're better than him. You're better than um uh what's his kid the Pittsburgh kid uh uh. Can you pick it? Kenny Pickett or uh, Trubisky. Trubisky. You're better than both of those guys. You could beat them. 
You're, you have a better roster than them. So stop with the bull crap. You could go there. You beat a good roster in the Bengals last year with Mike White. You have a better roster this year with better wide receivers. Go out there and make the goddamn plays, okay? I'm tired of it. I'm tired of sitting here as a Jet fan and saying, oh, we almost won, but our quarterback made a selfish play and threw the ball right to the linebacker, pick six, game over. I'm tired of it that our kickers can't kick a fucking 44-yard field goal and we lose the game by three. I'm getting – I'm just tired of it. I'm sorry I curse, But I'm tired of sitting here year in and year out and watching this garbage and selling that to myself and giving myself a heart attack. I watch a game four quarters and I, I throw up in the fourth quarter because my team gives a game away against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because Tom Brady was shooting balls out of his ass. Okay? I'm tired. <laughs> Tired of it, and I'm tired of listening to the coaches at the end of the game. Well, we played a good game. Our this fourth quarter, we played a good game. We 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 made the plays that we needed to do, but at the end of the game, we just couldn't make the final play. Quarterback Zach, stop screwing around. Go out there, screw the football, and go out there and throw those touchdowns. Make the plays. You don't need to have 25 touchdowns. You don't need to throw 4,000 yards. You can run the hell out of the ball with Bruce Hall and Michael Carter, and you have the offensive line to do it. And stop with the bull crap. Stop sitting there and saying, well, you know, I'm going to blame it on myself. It's my fault. It's a, I don't care if it's your fault. I don't care if it's the woman sitting in the first row's fault because she was burping at you when you were throwing, you know, haymakers down the friggin' sidelines. I don't want to hear it anymore. You're not Odell Beckham bowing down to a friggin' net or pissing on a friggin' logo, okay? You're not Terrell Owens standing there out on the friggin' star dancing around and prancing around because you hate it, okay? You are Zach Wilson. You are the starting quarterback of the New York friggin' Jets. Wear the green proud. Go out there. Shut all the people up. Chris Sims, I don't care if he tells you he's your butt buddy and he loves you. I don't care. I don't care what quarterback, oh, what's his name, Olaski over there with ESPN, saying that oh, I think Zach Wilson is going to be a star in this league. I've heard that with Sam Donald. I heard that with Geno Smith. I heard that with Mark Sanchez. I heard that with my butt when I was reamed by every single quarterback that the Jets brought in. Okay? I'm tired of it. Go out there, make the throws, make the plays, win some games this year, and win, lose, or draw. If you're in every game, Jet fans will be happy. But the excuses at the end of the game is not going to sell to me anymore. Robert Solid needs to shave his bald head, shave his ass, shave his body, go out there and be a coach, okay? Be a coach. Don't sit there and say, oh, pat you guys on the back. Good guys, good guys. How about... You assholes, you go out there and you do what I tell you to do or you're not going to play in the game. You tell Denzel Mims he can't play in the game. He can't play on the first team because Corey Davis, you got to kiss his ass because you overpaid him. And then you bring in Garrett Wilson. You bring in Elijah Moore. If he outplays them in the preseason game, he should be on the first team. Not Corey goddamn Davis who drops the ball. Okay, who drops everything. He might as well drop his underwear and show other things because he doesn't do anything on the field when it comes down to the crunch time. I'm tired of it. I'm tired of listening to it. I'm tired of all the crap. You want to know the truth? This team is more than talented to win a Super Bowl this year if they had a quarterback actually could throw the goddamn ball. Done. Errol, tell us how you feel, bud. <laughs> I'm just tired of it. And I'm on every single Jet show, and everybody wants me to come on the show. And I try to make excuses for the team, just as much as you try to make excuses for the Knicks with Donovan Mitchell. There is no excuse anymore. It's time yeah, to go I, I out. I do the way you do. 
it's time to talk is over. It's time to go out there and it's all Zach Wilson. It's on Zach Wilson. It's not on the team. Joe Douglas put up a very good roster. This is a very talented roster. Now, I don't know if they can get to the quarterback. It's been a problem for year in a year out since John Abraham. But if Carl Lawson can put pressure and take the pressure off Quinn Williams, it will open yeah. up seams for Rankins and John Michael Myers and all the other guys that can get to the quarterback. And maybe we'll see a, a, a rebirth of a, of a young kid in Jermaine Johnson who was passed up by 26 teams in a first round who should have been a top 10 talent. And by the way, Michael Clements is an absolute beast. Is an absolute beast. And I'm going to tell you right now, he is going to be the steal of last year's draft. I'm telling you right now, this kid is going to have five sacks, six sacks this year. He's going to shut a lot of people's mouths up. He is mean, and he don't give a crap. He goes out there and he talks. That man talks. I heard him. I've heard stories about him. You think Sauce Garner talks? That man is mean. He'll tell you on He'll talk about your mom, your father, your sister. He'll tell you that he's going to come home and he's going to play games with your cats if you, if it comes down to it. He doesn't give a crap, and he's not afraid of anybody. The man is a beast. So this team is more than talented enough to surprise everybody and win 10 games. Will they? I'll tell you this. Zach Wilson needs to stop with his peg leg, stop playing with himself, and go out there and play football. That's it. Play the game that you were born to play. Stop talking about your brother. Oh, I'm going to be a brother that I, I never had. I don't give a crap what your brother's doing in college. A matter of fact, he needs to play with himself. Tell him to play with your mother's girlfriend. I don't want to hear it anymore. Go out there. Go make love to the whole freaking audience if all I care. Just throw the damn football. Score touchdowns. Yeah, come here. Oh. Uh, oh, let, let, me, let me put some numbers to this because I think – he pretty much uh, epitomizes what Jet fans, the first, after not making a playoff since oh. 2010. But here, only one Jet quarterback has thrown for 30 touchdowns. That was Fitzpatrick, okay? Just think about that, okay? Only one Jet has completed over 65% of his passes and, and thrown at least 20 touchdowns, and that was Jet Pennington. Nobody else has done that. So we're not talking about a high level of achievement when it comes to Jet quarterbacks. So – He's got a lot of room to improve and be better than anybody in history has been because they do nothing but fail after maybe getting off to a somewhat decent start. Sanchez had a decent start, but overall his numbers weren't great. Pennington got off to a great start, then he got hurt. So they've never had that quarterback that has given them consistency for more than maybe – Five or six games at the most one year. Five or six uh, minutes. With, with Patrick. So five or six need. minutes. Not five or six games. Five or six minutes. Because none of them could throw. None of them could show up in games. And they made me sick to my stomach. This kid. Wait, but that, that's what happened. That's why you feel the way you feel. That's why you went on that rant. They never really had a quarterback that has been consistent. And I'm so tired of hearing about Joe Namath, too. Joe Tell Namath. Too. Oh, and, I, and I love Joe. He's a nice oh, guy. The guy is not one of the greatest quarterbacks no, of all time. Not even close. And, right. and when he sits there and, and everybody says, oh, man, he, he's the one who called that game. I could have called that game, too. I'll tell you what. I'll call that in the fourth game, if the Jets are 0-4, I'm going to crap my pants. Okay? Jeez. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call it because that's what's <laughs> going to happen. So remind me in my fourth game when the Jets are 0-4, when I crap my pants, I called that. I'm going to crap my pants. So I made a prediction that worked, too. All right? I don't give a crap. Go out there. They lose to your boy, Mitch Trubisky. Go out <laughs> there. Crap. Go out there and do your job. Everybody else does their job. 
there's no reason why this team can't surprise them. That's right. So for football right. and, and shut people. Do you, I'm telling you right now, Joe Flacco could beat Baltimore. And, and if Zach Wilson doesn't play game one and it's Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco could go into MetLife Stadium, Lamar Jackson, all that trouble going on right now, and they're mentally they're not all stable right now, and they have J.K. Dobbins, who's coming back from a major injury. It might take him a couple of games to get his feet wet. That offense, that team – Hamilton has not looked good in the preseason, and I've heard in practices where everybody thought this kid was going to be a star safety in the league. It's going to take him a little while. This team's going to have problems early in the season. Why not the Jets surprise all of football? Go out there in game number one, shock the world, and knock off Baltimore in the first game of the season and shut everybody up. And then everybody will be talking, oh, my God, Flacco's the future. Flacco could be the starting quarterback of the year. Zach Wilson, he'll be the backup. Just like the whole crap Mike White last year with the Bengals, which is garbage, too. And then don't forget about the preseason legend, Trevler. 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 Oh, my God. Do you, do, you know, do, you, do you know how much crap I heard after they, they cut Strivler? Do you know what crap I heard from the Jet fans? Oh my God, that kid could be the that guy could be the next star, star quarterback. He's better than Zach Wilson. The guy played against third and fourth string. Me and Speedy, Speedy could be my star running back as my fourth stringer. Are you kidding me? You're playing against high school kids. It's garbage. Half those guys don't want to even make a football team. It, it's 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 hilarious. I'm just tired of listening to Jet fans too. New York fans. I'm a New York guy. New York fans, and I, I won't take shots like Jeff does. And by the way, Jeff can kiss my ass too. Um, uh, I, I'm not going to sit there. New York fans are gullible. They're absolutely gullible and blind. Okay? Shut up. Let these guys show up to their games. Let them play their games. Just like the Patriots have done year in and year out. And what did they do? They kept winning. You know why? They didn't talk. They yep. never talked. They went out there and they shut people up. And that's why people hate them. You want to be the hated? I would love to be the most hated team in the league because I won. Okay? And the Jets have never won. So the, the, that would be like a miracle. That would be the Tooth Fairy actually exists. That would mean that there is an Easter Bunny. Okay? Because to me, I have did nothing but sitting here and watching garbage football since I was a little kid, since I became a Jet fan at seven years old. And Rex Ryan, shut the hell up. Please, stop bringing up what you did. It's so like you to open up your big fat mouth when you, you get a tattoo of Mark Sanchez on your friggin' body, and then you get it removed, and then you make excuses for it. There is no excuse. Your, your team, your Jets team that you had so much talent, had a chance against the Steelers, and you laid up a lousy goose egg in the first half of the game, okay? And then you, you played trail, and then you depended on Mark Sanchez. Yes, the same guy that you put a tattoo on your friggin' leg, your friggin' arm, and it's the same guy that was dancing and prancing with girls in their bikinis after the game. And the same guy that was smoking weed or eating hot dogs on the sideline. Give me a this, break. Just think about this. Sanchez actually beat Peyton Manning and Tom Brady in consecutive weeks on the road. That's, I don't like Sanchez, but, but that in itself is impressive. I don't know how he did it. I don't know. He made when. love to their wives. Maybe he sold, maybe he sold his soul. Oh, don't tell Zach Wilson. Because those are the last two games he won. But he also beat the Chargers quarterback, Bill yeah. um, Rivers, mm -hmm. on the road. Mm -hmm. These are all road teams games too. he won. Mm -hmm. All right? Amazing. Like, right. Marino only won, what, one road playoff game? Nope. Sanchez won four against, like, three Hall of Famers. Hall of Famers. Yeah. 
I, I listen. You're, it doesn't fit. It, it doesn't fit. It, it doesn't fit, but it also makes me sick to my stomach. And sitting here, and you guys know, we could talk about this all show. We could go all the way to 2 o'clock in the morning if we can and, and talk Please about don't. this. There, I don't want to do that. I just want to finish up with you guys because I want you guys to answer the questions of, you know, Speedy, you have you have your two questions. And ask the questions, and then we'll let these guys go. Yeah, I was going to ask, uh, because you mentioned Jimmy G, about the whole G- Jimmy Garoppolo bringing him back for the one season. Um, a lot of people are saying it's a negative thing. It's going to damage Trey Lance's confidence in and the organization of what he th- what they think in him. I think it's more of just an injury insurance because a lot of mobile quarterbacks that get hurt early in their careers too, and he's a very reliant on his legs. So what is your thoughts of them bringing him back, and could they even trade him again maybe at the trade deadline too because there were a lot of teams that were interested? Yeah, to, to me, to me the, the Jimmy G thing, it doesn't tell me more about Jimmy G. It tells me more about Trey Lance. I don't know if that team – is very confident that Trey Lance. There, there was some reports that leaked out that they're they're working on his throwing motion. That he's just not as accurate. And it, honestly, it, it if you give given his track record, he, he because he played an FCS schedule, he didn't play the COVID year, so he had like five six games before he became a pro. Um, to me, I, I think that Jimmy is a really good insurance blanket, and they're saying. The, the, the 49ers are saying, hey, if we're going to cough up this $25 million, he might as well be on our team. And so instead of shipping him else out elsewhere, get money against our cap, let him be in the organization. To Jimmy's credit, he is, he, he's a team first guy. I, I, think if, if, I think if I were a football player, I would like a guy like Jimmy G in the locker room. Last year, he had to deal with all the nonsense about, oh, they drafted your replacement or whatever. He just stayed headstrong took the job when he was in new England, Tom Brady apparently didn't want him in there. He just stayed headstrong. Tom Brady served his four game suspension. He played those three games. He just headstrong. Jimmy G to me is a, he's a good locker room guy. He's a good, he's a good guys guy. I don't know if he, in my opinion, um, can take you to a super bowl because he's going to make those two, three, four mistakes. He'll get you to the point to where you can make those mistakes to where you won't be able to win it. I think they're using Jimmy G as a safety net. I think that they're saying, if after four games, we don't like where Trey Lance is, we at least got Jimmy G. Because just like the Jets, just like we talked to uh, Arrow about the, the, uh, the Jets roster, this 49ers roster is good enough to win a championship. Loaded. And so they are like, like, like loaded, Debo, Kittle. If they stay healthy, they're good. And they got, to, in my opinion, the smart, one of the smartest, if not the smartest coach in football. I'm not a big fan of his, but that's just me. I mean, like, he, he's kind of give or take. He's, he's, I love his schemes. I won't lie. Yeah. I mean, I'm, a, I'm an Auburn fan, and uh, I see how bland Auburn schemes are, and I just respect guys that can just literally scheme guys into motion. And uh, I naturally, I played defense naturally at both high school and college. And so, like, it's one of those things where, like, I now respect offensive schemers that can out scheme a D coordinator mm-hmm. and Kyle Shanahan being the head coach that also does the game planning for the offense. To me, he's, he's built from a different way, but like 71% said, I mean, of motion on his, on his play calls. Yes. Yeah. And like the fact that he can just like lose a guy like Brandon Ayuk last year and then just kind of throw Debo in and change his role up to me. I, th- I think he's great. So um, to me, I think this, this is a roster move by Sam Fran to say, Hey, we're not completely sure on Trey Lance. And just in case he sucks after five weeks, we can throw Jimmy G in, 
and have 12 games to try to win this division. 33 and 14 as a starter. All he does is win. That's the bottom line. And I think I, I can't believe why so many teams want to seemingly not have him there. I mean, I never understood that with the 49ers. Hey, okay. I guess in the Super Bowl. I'm going to cut you off for just one second, Mark. I think a lot of that, I think a lot of the him not having a market, I think some of that was San Fran mm-hmm. saying, uh, I don't care if you offer me short of Tom Brady. I don't care what you're offering me. Like, I, I think that some of this was San Fran sabotaging this and then coming out and saying, we haven't found a good draft partner to – I think this is a part of the plan the whole time. They didn't want to trade him to Seattle either. So that's correct. Yes, yes, correct. Seattle would have given up boatloads. But they don't want to try in division. Sorry, Mark. I didn't want to. Can't, I didn't want to cut you off. But no, I think you're right, though. Him not having a market. I think. I think him not having a market was a little overblown. Mm. That's a good point. And uh, like, I, I think he's he'd be a good quarterback for anybody who's looking to win. I mean, all the guys done is consistently win. And then I just look up bad they were when he was out that one year. Okay, so I, I, I don't know. I, I, I would. I would really be questioning uh, San Francisco as a fan if he doesn't play. and Because they, they have talent everywhere else, so what are they doing? They're just wasting their season if they don't, mm-hmm. they don't start him. Mm-hmm. So one, uh, one more question for you guys. Uh, last week, they were ma- a lot of people were making a big deal about uh, Aaron Donald swinging his helmet against uh, two Bengals offensive linemen. Actually, it was two helmets that you grabbed. And a lot of people thought it should have been a suspendable offense after what happened a couple of years ago with Miles Garrett. And they kind of botched that whole situation. So they spent him for the rest of that year, but didn't suspend him after that. So do you think Aaron Donald should, re- should have received discipline for that kind of thing? Mark, I'll let you go. I remember when Lyle Alzado whipped up his helmet and threw it at Chris Ward in the 1982 uh, divisional playoff game out in <laughs> Oakland or out in L.A. So, I mean, football's kind of grown up a little bit for the penalties. Alzado didn't even get, like, a penalty then. Um, but I remember watching that Bengals game a couple of years ago um, with, uh, you know, with the Steelers quarterback getting hit. I mean, that was scary to think of what could have happened. Uh, Donald, you don't really think of him as a guy that would react that way, especially with all the success he's had. So I was kind of surprised that, he, I mean, I, I think when you do that, you have to be made an example of because you can't have an injury like that to anybody where players using their helmet in that kind of way, no matter how much, how angry you get. So usually with everything else, the NFL tries to make examples now because if they don't, then they'll get destroyed in the social media and you know how much uh, they believe in that stuff. So uh, I was surprised that he wasn't, Penalize more for what he did. I think if this was the NFL's decision, he probably would have. But because the NFL said, hey, we don't determine suspensions in uh, whether it's OTAs, mini camps, uh, fall camp, training camp, they, they don't have discretionary uh, uh, rules to discipline in that world. And so the NFL, I think, would have only because of optics. Only because you can't be swinging your helmet at another player, possibly concussing him as we're fighting concussion lawsuits. So the NFL would have done it based on uh, optics. I'm usually not a guy that does this, but I'm like, hey, let's take the character of the person. If the, if the character of the person is Vontaze Perfect, then yeah, you send a message. You tell him you, you can't do this because you have a track record of doing this. Aaron Donald to me doesn't, so I'm willing to forgive it and say, hey, this is a bad moment. So in Aaron Donald's case, I would say it's a bad moment. It's not something that should be set as a precedent because precedent means that you have to 
you know, make all rules under one thing. And on this one, I'm willing to be able to forgive it a little bit because precedent to me is like, hey, if if this action happens, this disciplinary action mm. happens. And to me, I think you can let Aaron Donald be the exception to the rule because this action happened, but your character in this game for almost a decade has shown that you're not this player. We'll give you a bad moment. We'll, we'll forgive a bad moment. All right, last quick question for you guys. It's very quick. Who do you think is – what team is going to be your surprise this year going into the season and could make noise where you don't expect to make noise? And who do you think is going to be the big disappointment in the NFL? Mark, I'll let you hammer at it. I, I, but, I mean, I think that the disappointment could possibly be Denver um, because everyone expects so much for them. I think that as far as surprise, I mean, who would you, would you say is a surprise in the AFC when generally most of the teams are supposed to compete? So probably the Jets would be the one team that say could do that in the AFC as far as being a surprise. Everyone else is expected to make some kind of run, and if they don't, then, you know, with the talent they have, it's kind of like a year for everybody right now because there are a lot of good teams in the AFC. My surprise team this year, and some people might consider it a surprise, some might not, but my surprise team this year is going to be the, the Las Vegas Raiders. Mm-hmm. I think what Derek Carr mm-hmm. brings to the table, I think what Devontae Adams brings to the table, that running game is going to be insane. Raiders are going to be really good. Obviously, they play in a tough division, but I think without Tyreek Hill, the Chiefs drop off a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think that the Chargers... They didn't make the playoffs last year, so it's, it's not some guarantee. Uh, the Broncos, I already told you about Russell. I don't think that he's going to be what he uh, he, he was before. Um, so in my opinion, yeah, I, I do believe that the, the Raiders are primed for a really good run. Another quasi-surprise, look out for the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's mm. a team that I think can win double-digit games. Wow. What? I'm saying this now. Double-digit games games uh i think the i think the i think the titans are going to take a step back i think that the colts won't be as good as what they are and the texans are going to texan and i think the, the schedule breaks for jacksonville the way that the way that i think a team that's on the rise should get and i think speaking of on the rise you got doug marone uh or sorry uh, doug peterson and then you got uh, trevor lawrence i think it's a great combination in jacksonville so surprise teams raiders Jacksonville, disappointing teams to me. The Cowboys, uh, you get rid of uh, C or you get rid of Coop, uh, uh, Amari Cooper. Cooper. Yeah, yeah, Amari Cooper. Uh, obviously, you got to you know you know some 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 uh, problems there. And uh, the Green Green Bay Packers, I just I don't necessarily think that they'll be Aaron. Aaron's still gonna be Aaron, but I don't believe in the weapons over there. So Raiders, Jags, surprises, Bengal or sorry, uh. Packers, Cowboys, disappointments. You think the you think Minnesota wins the division because a lot of people do. I, I still think it's the Packers, but I, I like the Vikings the too. I think it's. I, I think it's by a slim margin. I'm thinking like the, the winner of that division has you know an 11 and six record, wow. and the second place has a 10 and seven record. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So yeah, but I think the Packers still have the edge on defense, though. I would give them right. That, so yeah, yeah. But I do like the Vikings as a wild card, though. Correct. Okay. Well, boys, we we love you guys, and that's why we kept you on for a long time. Thank you for making me ran and almost have a heart attack. But uh, um, Mark almost fainted. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just uh, you know, I, I'm very clear on my thoughts of where the Jets are this year, and I don't want to hear the excuses that they don't have the talent because that's a crock of you know what. 
And any fan that sits here and tells me that, that, that I don't know what I'm talking about, go look at their roster and tell me that that roster couldn't win with – you put Aaron Rodgers on that roster, they win the Super Bowl. Eric, who's a, this is a fun game. This is can, we can, this can be like the last thing. Give me the quarterbacks that could win a Super Bowl with this roster. Aaron Rodgers. Aaron. Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Um, I'm not a big fan of Patrick Mahomes. I, I think he's very overrated. Um, Still a good playoff quarterback. No, I think he could. I didn't ask. Josh him. Allen? Uh, no, I'm. I, Josh Allen. I, I don't know what Josh Allen could do without Dable. So I, he's got to prove it to me. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady. Uh, no. Herbert? No. No, I don't think Justin Herbert could do it. He hasn't proven to me anything. Um, I'm just trying to think of the quarterbacks that have, you know, are winners in Stafford. Did you put Stafford on that? Stafford? Matthew Stafford could. Okay. I okay. think Matthew Stafford could. Hey, um, guys, I got to run. Yeah. See you I later. I got to go. Good seeing you, my brother. Likewise. Good to see you as well. Sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to throw you up on the table. No, 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 no. Absolutely. Well, just, I would see say you guys later. see you later, brother. You, we'll talk to you soon, Mark. Um, I would say Matthew Stafford, uh, Patrick Mo- uh, no, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and maybe Deshaun Watson. I, I okay. think Deshaun Watson could. I, I think if the Jets wanted Deshaun Watson and if Don, Deshaun Watson, you know, got his feet wet with this team, I think Deshaun Watson could do it too. But I that's like it. that's it. There's not a lot. There's not a lot. Yeah. But uh, and that's just because a quarterback can change everything. So uh, I think with this roster, with the weapons they have, defensively, offensive line, uh, these quarterbacks could absolutely succeed. And, and Gerard, you are awesome. Keep up the good Thank work. You, I'm following your, your career and, and the greatness of who you are and where you're going to go. Say hello to your woman. I saw her bring you a nice cup of, you know, a cup of whatever she gave you. Um, <laughs> what you drinking, yeah, Gerard? She, we're sipping on a little wine tonight. Oh, uh-huh. there you go. I'm talking yeah, about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I, I wasn't a wine connoisseur. Well, I'm not even a wine connoisseur. It's too strong. But, like, even a wine drinker outside of, like, with steaks until about last year. Marvin Gaye, baby. You listen to some Marvin Gaye and drink some wine. And then you have I gotta do it. I you have some it. you have some love in the bedroom. You know, I gotta do it. there you go. I love you, man. Thank right. you. Hey, boys, so good to see you guys. I uh, hope we do it again very, very absolutely, soon. absolutely. Uh, we'll we'll be in touch off the air, and I'll t- I'll text Speedy about everything goes is going on. But thank you so much. Thank you, bro. Thank Gar- you, man. Gerard and Mark Every Kelly, the monsters of the overtime. What a show! Ah, uh, I ranted. I almost killed myself. Yes, and he almost made Mark faint. So, did you like that rant? It looked like he was falling off his bed. Did you like that rant? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, Mark Mark will never forget it. Now, I don't think anybody would forget that rant. You can cut it up and throw it in the in the meat packer. Anyways, um, thank you to all the different guests that we had. Steve Gardner from um, USA Today baseball writer, uh, CBS Sports, College Sports, and MLB uh, Network broadcaster Rich Waltz uh, for joining us. Gerard, Mark. Uh, Danny Radical, all the guys that have uh, really stood in, and, and helped out moving this show. It, it was a great, great show. One of the better ones that we've had. Uh, it always is good. But, uh, you know, I love bringing different personalities to the show and, and, and showing people a different avenue of what sports radio could be. Um, we will be back on Tuesday. And actually, we are moving to Wednesday, not next week, the week after. Good, because I already have guests scheduled Tuesday. So okay, so next Wednesday uh, we will be moving uh, to uh, Wednesday seven to ten, and then Thursday nine to twelve. So that's going to happen uh, for all the fans to stay tuned for that. I'm just excited. Um, like I said to all you fans out there, you keep up, uh, you keep following us and 
doing what you do best, and we'll keep entertaining you as always. Uh, listen to the Weekend Crunch Saturdays from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. on 103.9 FM. Uh, if you don't live here on Long Island, you can check us out on iHeartRadio, LI News Radio, 7 p.m. tomorrow. As the hockey season is right around the corner, and as Danny Radical thinks that it's the end of Lou Lamorello and the Islanders, I beg to differ. And again, he also thinks that he, that he, that again, he also thinks like the Mets are like one of the like only a top ten team oh, in baseball. You know, so Danny has his own thoughts too. You know where you know these teams are going, and I respect Danny. So uh, you know sometimes he's right. Most of the time, I think he's, he's wrong. I think he's right on Degrom for the time being. I think he needs like a year or two. I'm not even more, talking about Degrom. But, to say that yeah. the Mets are, are not a team to be beaten. Uh, yeah, they're one of the beat. they're one of the six I think that can win a World Series. They're one of the four that can win a World four? Series. Okay. I think there's only four teams that can win a World Series this year. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, I'm very positive on that. So, and I think the Dodgers, the Mets, um the Braves I, I, and the No, I, I, not even the Braves. Okay. I I I cuz the Braves could they can I just don't know if the Braves have the same team as they I know everybody keeps saying that they I don't know. I have to see more of the Braves for the next couple of weeks to say that the Braves can compete to that to that tie. I mean, Philly. The Phillies could surprise everybody if they get into. The I place. think the Cardinals will be the surprise. Uh, if I don't. Surprise. Okay. I don't. I think it's the Phillies. Right. Um, but the Yankees and the Astros are right. the two other teams. And uh, the Astros, Verlander comes back and they're healthy. They're going to be scary good, and they're calling up their their rookie phenom uh, in the next week. So. Uh, I'm not surprised they're doing this because the Yankees and all the good bats haven't seen him pitch. So why not bring him in at the end of the season when you haven't seen him enough where he can just completely outduel you in the playoffs when you need him the most. So not surprised that the Astros had that planned. Um, That's it. Uh, We'll be back on Tuesday. Good night. You're, You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.